This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I am a radio guy living in what is increasingly becoming a podcast world. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against podcasts. I, uh, this show is available on podcast. We have a lot of people that listen to this show regularly via the podcast. And you can always go to WABCradio.com or, uh, and search under podcasts or as a shortcut to that uh, section of the website, just go to fmwabc.com, and you can just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano wherever you get your podcast, and you'll get to hear this show. I also launched a new podcast recently called The Racket Report, which is focused exclusively on issues related to organized crime. I listen to podcasts. I like podcasts. But my first love in terms of entertainment is radio, in both doing radio and listening to radio. I love radio. However, I recognize that for us to be kind of cutting edge, we have to be increasingly podcast-minded. And a lot of the energy, the attention, the publicity, the money, quite frankly, that used to be given to huge radio stars is increasingly being given to podcasting stars. I don't think... There is a bigger podcast star than Joe Rogan. Now, Joe Rogan I knew because he was on a a, a TV show, a sitcom that I just loved called News Radio because I love almost every show that takes place at a radio station. Frasier, WKRP in Cincinnati, you name it. If it's a show or a movie that takes place at a radio station, I'm into it. And I thought Joe Rogan was great on this show, but I never really thought much of him uh, one way or another. I didn't think about him too much. And lo and behold, over the last few years, the guy has become one of the biggest podcasting stars in the world. And he's done some great interviews. And I've watched some of his interviews and listened to some of his interviews. And I think he really is terrific. And whether I think he's terrific or not, because I don't listen regularly, although I have many friends that do, whether I think he's terrific or not, the impact that he has is remarkable. Andrew Yang describes what it was like going on the Joe Rogan show. He did one appearance on the Joe Rogan show, and immediately, he almost immediately, almost instantly, he got something like $60,000 in donations from new donors. Like, as soon as the podcast was posted, within minutes. So Joe Rogan, in many respects is this generation's Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson, when he was hosting The Tonight Show, and by the way, the, the um, they still replay episodes of Johnny Carson's Tonight Show on a network called Antenna TV. It still holds up. I was watching some old uh, Johnny Carson episodes on the Antenna Network the other night. It's still very, very funny. He's still just terrific. But that's neither here nor there. 
the reason I say that Joe Rogan is in some respects this generation's Johnny Carson is because Johnny Carson was the one place that you could go on and immediately become a household name. If you went on Johnny Carson either as a guest or as a stand-up or both or a musician, you were instantly known around the country, maybe even around the world. That is now the case with Joe Rogan. That is the degree of saturation and influence that he has. Now, one of the things I like about Joe Rogan is that he is willing to offer a platform to people that are shunned by the rest of the mainstream media. As was the case with a lot of the people who offer alternative views on things like vaccinations. You know, Joe Rogan, who had COVID himself, was someone that had no problem providing a forum for people like uh, Dr. Robert Malone and others and their views on COVID, which are, let's say, to put it politely, far out of the mainstream of where medical, the medical community is. So a whole bunch of doctors and medical professionals wrote to Spotify, which paid $100 million for the rights to showcase the Joe Rogan show. And they basically said, you shouldn't provide a platform to this kind of COVID misinformation. Spotify said, thank you very much. We just paid $100 million for this guy. You bet, you better believe we're still going to provide a platform for him. So then Neil Young, the musician, comes out and says, Spotify, if you want to keep playing my music on your platform, that you're going to have to choose between Joe Rogan and me. Spotify chose Joe Rogan. They said, no, no, thank you. We're going to keep airing Joe Rogan. And Neil Young, as of yesterday, has announced that he is pulling his music off of Spotify. He put out a statement yesterday calling Spotify the home of life-threatening COVID misinformation. He added, lies being sold for money. That's what he called Spotify. That's a quote. Lies being sold for money. His criticism of Rogan has become, uh, who has become Spotify's most popular host by far, came after hundreds of scientists, professors, and public health experts asked Spotify to take down an episode of Rogan's show from December 31st featuring Dr. Robert Malone, uh, an infectious disease expert who they said in the letter promoted several falsehoods about the COVID vaccine. So in a statement on also yesterday, Spotify said, quote, we want all the world's music and audio content to be available to Spotify users. With that comes great responsibility in balancing both safety for listeners and freedom for creators. We have detailed content policies in place, and we've removed over 20,000 podcast episodes related to COVID since the start of the pandemic. We regret Neil's decision to remove his music from Spotify, but hope to welcome him back soon. So the news that the service was removing his songs was first reported 
by the Wall Street Journal. And in his original letter, Neil Young uh, had addressed to his label and his manager, he said, Spotify has a responsibility to mitigate the spread of misinformation on its platform. I want you to let Spotify know immediately today that I want my music off their platform. He added they can have Rogan or Young, not both. What say you? 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Do you think that Neil Young did the right thing here by taking a principled stand by saying he doesn't want to be on the same platform that's providing a forum for COVID misinformation? Or did Spotify do the right thing here by not allowing, uh, by not bowing to this, essentially this ultimatum that uh, Neil Young offered them? What do you think? 800-848-9222. Now, I mention this because this show this podcast, if you listen to it in podcast form, is available on Spotify. And I'll tell you what, I'm grateful that it is. I'm thrilled that we're available on Spotify. There's a ton of people that listen to this show via Spotify. And you know what? I, I happen to think Joe Rogan has every right to showcase any guest he wants. And I say the more views, the merrier. And that's what I try and do on this show. But. If Joe Rogan has people whose views are uh, I completely disagree with or who are putting out factual misstatements, I think the solution there is for any Spotify user or any person is simply just not to listen. So I got to tell you, I am glad that Spotify showed a little bit of backbone here and didn't kowtow to Neil Young. Now, make no mistake about it. This was purely a business decision. They didn't spend $100 million on Joe Rogan just to start pulling his show. As Spotify themselves said in their statement, they've pulled other pieces of audio, what they claim is misinformation related to COVID. So, I mean, had they thought they could make more money with Neil Young, they would have done that. I'm glad, though, that um, Joe Rogan remains on Spotify. I think it's a victory for alternative points of view, even though I don't agree with Dr. Robert Malone at all. I don't agree with the things that he says, but I am thrilled to be on Spotify and I am not going to be issuing any ultimatums to Spotify or to any other platform that is kind enough to provide a platform for me because I'm grateful to be able to reach those listeners. I'll remember, I want to get to your calls um, and then we're going to talk with Sergeant Joe Imperatrice from Blue Lives Matter in just a minute. But... I remember before I worked here, I worked at another uh, radio talk station that was mostly conservative. And I helped broker a deal for, I mean, it's overwhelmingly conservative. I don't think there were any left of center hosts on the station. So I, except me, maybe. I helped broker a deal where uh, a labor show, an organized labor show would air on this radio station, an arch conservative radio station whose hosts were almost overwhelmingly hostile to the organized labor, labor agenda, except maybe when it comes to some public sector unions like police or firefighters. So I said to one of these guys who was a big part of this labor show, I said, hey, what are you going to say when some of your people, these far left wing people, union members, heavily Democratic voters, give you a hard time for airing your show on a conservative station. 
And you know what this guy said to me? This fellow's name was Joe. Joe said, well, look, I think the fact that um, they're willing to give us a platform says a lot about them. And I completely agree. Completely agree. What say you? 800-848-WABC. Do you side with Neil Young? Do you side with Spotify? Or do you have a more nuanced view? This is one of the few radio shows that embraces the concept of nuance. Joe Imperatrice from Blue Lives Matter coming up at 1.30. AC Report coming up at 3.30. And uh, we're going to talk aliens with Jimmy Church coming up at 2.30. Let me begin with uh, Robert in Philadelphia. Hello, Robert. How you doing, Frank? Um, I My first thing is, bye, Neil, okay? Because you're telling people about misinformation. What misinformation? He is getting information from scientists who are in the field. I mean, it all goes back to, for some reason, all of a sudden, the left is telling us, you're not allowed to do your own research, okay? Even Don Lamont said it. You're not allowed to do your own research. And all I would say to them is replace Biden with Trump and watch you say the exact opposite. You know what I mean? It's getting so ridiculous now. Who's who's deciding what's misinformation? I happen to get very good information from that podcast from Dr. McCullough, the guy who made the um, platform for the vaccines. Well, thank you, Robert. I'll tell you, um, I don't think this is a left versus right issue necessarily because Joe Rogan is not what I would consider to be a right winger. He had said uh, publicly that he had hosted Bernie Sanders for three hours, and I think he had said that if Bernie Sanders was the nominee, he would have voted for Bernie Sanders. He had said that he would vote for uh, Tulsi Gabbard. So you can't exactly portray him as a totally right wing guy. I think you can portray him, and this is where I give him a lot of credit, as a guy that embraces free speech and a guy that likes hearing all points of view. And I applaud that because I like that. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Nikki is in Manhattan. Hello, Nikki. Hello, Frank. I like your nuances. (laughs) Thank you. I like your nuances Um, as well. Well, thank you, sir. Um, I very much agree with Spotify. And I'm, I'm like you are. I don't want information censored. I mean, are we all too dumb to try to, you know, figure out what's the truth and what isn't? But I I did have to laugh when I heard about Neil Young because I kind of doubt his music was flying off the shelves. I may be wrong. Yeah, Maybe he'll he'll sell a few more records. Well, you know, you might be right about that. Look, Neil Young has got some great songs. I I really like Neil Young as a singer. Uh, Harvest Moon, The Heart of Gold. I didn't. I never got to meet Neil Young. Uh, I'm a big fan of his music. I think he's got a wonderful voice, and I think his music is very soulful. Uh, I never got to meet Neil Young, but I did see Neil Young in person once. You know where? Trump Tower, about uh, eight years ago, about eight and a half years ago, actually. I had a meeting uh, with uh, Donald Trump. I've told this story before. I had a meeting with Donald Trump and uh, minority now minority leader of the New York City Council, Joe Borelli. Back then he was just a state assemblyman. Uh, he and I both went to chat with this very beautiful, she almost could have been a model, this very beautiful woman who was checking people into Donald Trump's conference room at Trump Tower. And she said, oh, you know, I really love working here because I get to meet such interesting people, people like you. And she said, you'll never guess who's coming in right after you guys. And we said, who? She said, Neil Young. And so Joe and I both stuck around to see Neil Young come up. 
Uh, we didn't actually meet uh, Neil Young as uh, Michael Caputo and others did, but we, we got to see him. I gave him an upward nod, and Neil Young gave us back an upward nod. He seemed like a nice enough guy, and he and Trump got along very well. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Neil Young is pulling his music off of Spotify. What say you? 800 848 W-A-B-C. That's 800-848-9222. Frank is calling from Ohio, a state that is first in flight. Hello, Frank. Hi, Frank. Yeah, uh, Neil Young does not own the rights to his music. So when he offered that ultimatum to uh, Spotify, it was empty. And then it was kind of amusing that when Spotify took him at his word and took his music off anyhow, they didn't have to do that. Uh, so is it, what it's done, of course, is created a lot. Oh, that's of interesting. Wait, so what you're saying, outside. Frank, is that they could have continued to air or not air, but showcase Neil Young's music on Spotify even without his permission? Exactly. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. If that's true, that's very interesting that they chose to go full Joe Rogan. If that is the case, yeah, and I have no idea if what Frank just said is accurate. But if that is the case and I were Spotify, I'd say, oh, you know what? Good luck. We have the rights to put your music on Spotify. We're not letting you come off. It's almost, you know, you, it, again, I hate to use the Trump analogy again, but Donald Trump left the casino business in 2006. And we're going to talk about Atlantic City uh, at 3.30. But there were still, even after Trump left the casino business in 2006, there were two casinos that bore his name, the Trump Taj Mahal and the Trump and Trump Plaza. And even after Donald Trump, the person, severed his relationship with those properties, they would pay him a small licensing fee so that they could still use his name and his image. And if you went to the Trump Plaza or the Trump Taj Mahal, you would think it was owned by Donald Trump. They had his picture everywhere. If you ever ordered water while you were playing uh, blackjack or something, they'd bring you the Trump water. I think it was called Trump Ice. They had a bar called The Ego, which was a giant picture of Donald Trump. But the thing was, with Trump Plaza, and to a lesser extent Trump Taj Mahal, but Trump Plaza had turned into such a dump. I mean, it was filthy. It was falling apart. It was dilapidated. It was an embarrassment. And Donald Trump said, well, I don't want my name on this property. It's falling apart. He actually sued to try and get his name taken off the property. And yet, um, but the place ended up closing before they came to a resolution on that. But uh, they they kept using his name, even though he wanted his name taken off. It would have been funny if what Frank said is correct, if Spotify did the same thing with Neil Young. Oh, you don't like what we're doing? Tough. We're airing your music anyway. Uh, but I, again, I can't confirm Frank's interpretation of the legal rights of usage. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Riley is in New Jersey. Hello, Riley. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Well, I think it's going pretty well so far. That's good. Um, I just want to say, you know, so so Joe Rogan. You know Joe Rogan used to believe the moon landing was fake? I, I, I'm not surprised. I know he's got a lot of wacky beliefs. Oh, a lot of wacky beliefs is an understatement. But, you know, who else has wacky beliefs? Neil Young. Neil Young, absolutely. And, you know, I just want to say, you know, I'm a, I'm a young I'm a young guy from New Jersey. And I just, it, you know, it's really important to me is, uh, is the pizza debate, you know, New Jersey pizza is better than New York pizza. Thoughts, thoughts on that? Uh, g- 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 I, g- they don't make enough of whatever drug you're on, Riley, 
for you to be able to make that claim with any credibility. You know, I think there might be more people that agree with Joe Rogan that the moon landing was fake than agree with you that New Jersey is offering better pizza than New York. Come on. We're the top of the food chain. Best in the world. Best in the country. Better than Italy. Give me a break. Jersey's got better pizza than New York. Now, there are places in New Jersey that make a better pizza pie than um, than places, certain places in New York, of course. But for you to say that overall the pizza in New Jersey is better than New York is just, I mean, you sound drunk, to be honest. Uh, it's the best way that I could put it, especially New York City. Frank is in Queens. Hello, Frank. Neil Young still alive. Listen, have your next guest. We'll come to the Dobbs. Thank you. Uh, Janet in Manhattan. Hello. Oh, hi, Frank. Yeah, I'm really interested in the back and forth, you know, the business decision that Spotify is making or Neil Young. What I want to know is what is it that Robert Malone actually said that these doctors objected to? What I've heard Malone – now, Malone has credibility – because I think he was in on the creation. Right, he was one of, of the pioneers mRNA. of mRNA technology. That's right. Right. So, what did he say substantively that they objected to so strongly? Do you know? I I, I don't know. In that specific podcast, I uh, uh-huh. I didn't I didn't listen to it. But from my my understanding is, in general, um, it basically he said things like, um, you know, the the vaccines are. are aren't working when the overwhelming consensus is that uh-huh. the vaccines do present prevent hospitalizations and death. They significantly reduce your um, likelihood of being hospitalized or dying. Now, uh, they say that uh, Malone, um, you know, so but again, I didn't hear the interview. I will listen to it because I am curious myself. Scott's in Northport. Hello, Scott. Hey, Frank. I was just saying that it's crazy to for Spotify to say that we're going to censor uh, information. I think we need more information. So I think Spotify made the right call. Neil Young was trying to say that this is misinformation. We don't have enough information to decide if this is misinformation yet. Uh, Fair point, Scott. You know, my view is put it all out there. Let people decide for themselves. Um, we have, uh, Matt Blaze is here. He knows a thing or two about music. Matt, you have some information about, uh, the rights to Neil Young's songs. Yeah, I was just looking it up. And, uh, according to Forbes, a little over a year ago, Young sold 50% of his publishing rights to his entire song catalog. The Hypnosis Songs Fund is a UK-based investment fund with a, uh, $150 million. But it gave Hypnosis the right to the worldwide copyright and income interests from the 1,180 songs so composed. So Frank is right. Neil Young so, yeah. doesn't necessarily get to control where his songs go. It's up to this company uh, that he sold the rights to. Right. I, I don't understand. They said 50%, but he has, it doesn't seem like he has any rights to the music. I guess maybe he gets paid. Yeah, I but would they, assume that But too. they get to control who plays yeah, it and where it goes. I mean, that's significant. He gets $150 million and then still right. gets royalty, uh, gets money whenever it's plays. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that clarification. Carlos is in Yonkers. Hello, Carlos. Hello, yes. Uh, I don't agree with everything Joe Rogan says, but I think Neil Diamond is a bit irrelevant to these times. And Joe Rogan, at times, he's misinterpreted by the media. When he said the other day that he took ivermectin when he had COVID-19, it was portrayed as a parasite, anti-parasite, only for animals. In reality, it's prescribed in different doses to animals and humans. 
Take a look at Nigeria. They have 209 million people in their population. They've only had 3,000 deaths. The United States, we have 330 million people. We have had 875,000 deaths. Well, thank you, Carlos. But I think you meant Neil Young, not Neil Diamond. I would really caution people to be careful. Look, I don't want to give you medical advice. You know why? Because I'm not a doctor. I would encourage you to talk to your doctor about treatment for COVID or anything else. I had a friend. She ended up taking ivermectin, uh, she and her mother, and they got pretty sick. Uh, and uh, they had to call, end up causing, calling poison control. They, uh, she, my friend sent her husband out to go buy this ivermectin, and um, they had to go to a veterinary store. And the husband, the, the person that sold the husband the, the, me- the medicine said, oh, what kind of horse is this for? Now, it wasn't for a horse. It was for a human. The husband said, oh, it's for a brown one. Now, um, and then these people took ivermectin and they got kind of sick. And thankfully, they're okay. But I would be pretty hesitant to take ivermectin. I know Joe Rogan said he took it. I don't know anything about ivermectin. I don't pretend to know anything about it. I would encourage you talk not to a radio talk show host or a podcaster when deciding what course of action to take when combating serious illness. Talk to your doctor. Best thing. Have a doctor that you trust. Talk to them about these sort of decisions. We're going to talk with Joe Imperatrice in three minutes about the nature of policing in this city, particularly in the light of the latest two police officers killed. And it just seems like every day we hear about a different police officer shot somewhere in the country. 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, hello. You know, this, this thing with Neil Young, it has to do with who the president is. If Donald Trump was the president, Neil Young would take the typically left platform and say, oh, these big corporations, they just want to sell their vaccine. But because Biden is the president, he does the opposite. So all he's doing is cheap political posturing. And it's hard to believe that this guy was at Woodstock, where they preach tolerance and love, and he's being so intolerant. At least you could say Bruce Springsteen, who did the same thing with Chris Christie. He says, if, you know, Chris Christie uh, wins the election. Uh, no, he says, I'm, I'm not going to play for Chris Christie's victory party, you know. But, I mean, at least he wasn't at Woodstock. Neil Young was at Woodstock. He has no excuse. Uh, thank you, Larry. Pamela's in New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm so tired of and I'm into music and I like Neil Young and everything, but I'm so tired of musicians using their music to uh, weaponize politics and tell us what to do, what we can hear and what we can't hear. But and to I'm, me, I'm I agree with you. And I, I'm so tired of hearing these musicians saying, oh, I don't want this politician using my song as their campaign opening or that politician. Uh, if I were a, pol- a singer, I'd want every politician playing my music at their rallies. But to me, this is even worse than the scenario that you described, because this isn't even a musician weaponizing his music to make a political statement. This is a musician weaponizing his music to suppress free speech. And I think that is really absolutely outrageous. I mean, let's have an honest discussion. Let Joe Rogan have whatever expert he wants on or any opinion leader he wants on. And then let somebody else have whatever opinion leader they want on. Who's stopping Neil Young from doing a podcast where he interviews Dr. Anthony Fauci or anybody he wants, any expert that he wants? I'm sure people would listen to it. But why? Why? I mean, for you to demand, oh, take that Joe Rogan episode off or or, or take his whole podcast off. 
or you got to take my music off? Come on. It strikes me as being a bully. It strikes me as being somebody that doesn't trust people to make their own decisions after hearing all points of view. And it strikes me as being incredibly short-sighted. Maybe the caller that brought up the idea that this is a publicity stunt uh, was on to something. Although once you sell half your music catalog for $150 million, do you really need publicity? Probably not. Probably you, you could just rest on your mattress of $100 bills. 800-848-9222. Drew is in White Plains. Hello, Drew. Hey, I'm not in the cancel culture, but on this one, I'm with Neil Young because if he feels like Joe Rogan is doing things that are going to cost people their life or put people at risk, he has all right to say, I don't want to be a part of a platform that's going to promote this guy. Well, you know what? Look, uh, he's entitled to his opinion. So are you, Drew. I think that um, I think this is a shame. I would rather he use his substantial mouthpiece to advocate against whatever Robert Malone is saying that he doesn't agree with or explain publicly why Robert Malone is wrong. I, I don't I don't like I don't like this at all. And you notice. And again, I'm not um, uh, I get what Drew was saying. He's saying, look, if people are going to embrace the kind of commentary that could cost them their lives, then, you know, maybe maybe it makes sense for him to take a stand. But you notice people always say, I'm not into cancel culture before they leave the door open to embracing some aspect of cancel culture. Jeff's in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff. How you doing, Frank? Uh, uh, Neil Young, he stinks anyway. Who the hell would want to listen to him? But uh, you're right, man. It's freedom of speech. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, I I mean, I I actually like Neil Young's music. I think he's a great musician. I think he's dead wrong on this one. Let me squeeze in one more here, and then we're going to talk with uh, Sergeant Joe Imperatrice from Blue Lives Matter. Doug is on Long Island. Hello, Doug. Yeah, you doing, Frank? Yeah, you know, Neil Young's good music, but hey, you got your opinion, I got mine. Spotify did the right thing, you know. You make your own opinion, you talk to your doctor. But I got to tell you, you made me laugh with that. What kind of horse it was, a brown one. That was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, you really had me gone. I had almost had a pullover. I'm driving a track. That was the best laugh I, had, laugh I had all day. That's the idea, Doug. Thank you very much. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Hey, we're going to talk with Sergeant Joe Imperatrice, good friend of mine. He's the founder of Blue Lives Matter NYC, uh, a group that I've been proud to uh, support, both financially and in terms of whatever platform that I've had since they started. And uh, they started right around the time that officers Ramos and Lou were killed. And unfortunately, it's sad to see that seven or eight years later, we're still not making as much progress as folks like Joe Imperatrice would like us to make. So we're going to talk with him next. But first, I want to talk to you about something that you can do to improve your digestive health. Are you feeling logy? Are you feeling bloated? Are you feeling stopped up and constipated? Well, if the answer to any of those questions is yes, then you need to think about getting Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. It is a gentle daily cleanse that takes great, works to get things moving. Stress, no secret, can wreak havoc on our digestive system. And if you are feeling like your digestive health is not up to par, then Life Change Tea can help keep you regular. It's all natural. It's non-GMO. One package will last you an entire month. But it's only available by logging on to the website, getthetea.com. 
That's getthetea.com. Use the promo code FRANK. Enjoy some free shipping. Promo code FRANK while you're there. Check out all their other products designed for your optimum health and whatever you choose to order, vitamins, minerals, supplements. If you use the promo code FRANK at getthetea.com, you'll get to enjoy free shipping. Don't miss out. Life Change Tea at getthetea.com. It is the tea that makes you go. W-A-B-C. You're hearing things. You're hearing things. On 77 W-A-B-C. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Moreno. Well, look, New York City is still mourning over the um, loss of two very, very brave police officers, two young men who had their whole lives ahead of them, who chose to dedicate their lives to public service, who were just trying to do their job and are now dead. Well, Somebody that uh, this has become an all-too-familiar scenario to is a good friend of mine and a great New Yorker and a great public servant in his own right. That's uh, Sergeant Joe Imperatrice, the founder of Blue Lives Matter NYC. Joe, thanks for staying up late. I appreciate you joining me on the radio. Frank, yeah, I've been excited to come on with you all day, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, uh, same here, same here. And, uh, uh, again, obviously I wish it was under better circumstances. For people that are not familiar with your group, Joe, I think probably people have heard the term Blue Lives Matter. Uh, what do you guys do? What's your organization all about? Frank, it's incredible you say that because so many times when they meet me or they see me on TV, they'll say, wait a minute, I thought that was just a slogan. I had no idea it had anything to do with an organization. Well, we're not just an organization. We're a registered nonprofit. And as Frankie said earlier, uh, after the deaths of Detectives Ramos and Lou, me and my two co-founders, Carlos Delgado and Chris Brinkley, we came up with Blue Lives Matter NYC. We started off with silicone wristbands that were intended to raise just a little bit of money for the two families. And it blew up into a household name, registered nonprofit. We've raised close to $2 million, and the main purpose is to help the families of officers killed in the line of duty or diagnosed with life-threatening disease. But along the way, I've also been out there uh, doing the best I could to advocate for police to show that not every police officer is bad because back in 2014 and 2015, every day you'd wake up and the front page of the paper or – the, the news that you're watching was villainizing police officers, kind of like they've been doing the last few years. But, uh, you know, I'm going to do everything that I can with every breath in my body to try to change things for the better, Frankie. It's not always easy, but God has a plan, and I'm going to follow that path. It seems like of late, uh, this year, even though it's only 27 days old, this year specifically, we're seeing an uptick in police officers being shot, not just in New York, but around the country. Is that actually accurate? Can you speak to that? Or is that just my perception that it just seems like there's more cops being shot these days? Not only is it accurate, it's reality. The first day of, of the new year, we had a police officer shot. Thank God he was alive you know, and, and lived through it. 
But in the last week and a half, five police officers shot in New York City, two killed, an 11-month-old baby shot in the face, a 40-year-old woman pushed in front of a train. What was it now, Frank? Two or three weeks that, that we had the 19-year-old killed right. in Burger King? You know, the day after our two NYC New York City police officers were shot, a Houston police officer shot and killed in the line of duty. Since then, we've had several nationwide. There's not just an attack on police. It's just a complete disregard for human life. And I truly believe that you have these politicians that go in front of a podium, spew hate, spew lies, don't give the facts. And you have people that are mentally ill that actually follow through and take this to heart. And they go and they follow through, just like with Ramos and Lou, a gentleman from Baltimore put on social media that he was going to have pigs fly. He took a train to New York City, and the first two cops he saw, he executed. And that's what we're seeing all across this nation. On top of that, Frank, bail reform, weak DAs, just like we have Alvin Bragg in New York City, telling criminals, we're not going to prosecute. Pretty much go out and do anything short of murdering somebody, and you'll be back on the street. Don't worry about it. The criminals listen, and that's why we're in such trouble in all these cities. So what do you think is behind the uptick in police shootings? Is it is it a function? I know you uh, you specifically mentioned the um, you know these certain prosecutors that don't really put an emphasis on prosecuting criminals. But even Alvin Bragg always said that uh, he wanted to refocus the efforts of his office on violent crime. I can't imagine Alvin Bragg would have been okay, even tacitly with uh, with police officers being shot. Why are we seeing uh, these people, whether they're criminals or people that are mentally disturbed or people that are mentally disturbed, people with a, a lengthy criminal history? Why are we seeing them target police officers just for being police officers all of a sudden? It's a different style of policing. I have 16 years on. I hate saying that because it makes me realize that that life is going before my eyes. But when we were out there, we had the support of not only our neighborhoods, which is still the case, but our politicians. And we went out there and we were police officers. We followed the law. We swore an oath. And we did everything possible within our training tactics to keep our – neighborhood safe, Frank. We go out there and it was a mutual respect between us and the bad guys. Now that might sound dumb to some people, but they knew that they were going to push the limit as long as we weren't around. But if we caught them, it was a game and they lost for the day, but it was a mutual respect. They knew that we'd stop question and possibly frisk, that we had the right to go up to them if we believed they were committing or about to commit a, a penal or misdemeanor or felony. And we thought or we observed what appeared to be a firearm or a bulge or a knife. We were going to go and take those illegal you know, weapons off the street. And we'd, we'd get out of a van, Frank. We, we'd pull up in this big van. You see us coming down the block. We'd open the door, and people would literally lift up their shirts to show us that they had nothing. Nowadays, the new generation has no idea what it's like to be stopped by the police. They think they can spit in their faces, curse at them, tell them that they're street lawyers. You can't touch me. They pretty much know that they're going to be back out on the street the very next day or if mm. not that night. So this is the issue. So if we can go back and slowly convert back to real policing and, and accountability. Frank, if you get caught with a gun today, you're out the very next day. Mm. Uh, a majority of these shootings that we're seeing, these guys are out on open gun charges, open gun cases. There was a time where you got caught one time, three years you were in jail, two times, 10 years. So if we went back to that and there were consequences, accountability, there'd be a huge shift. Uh, we're talking with Joe Imperatrice. He's the founder of Blue Lives Matter NYC. You could check out their website, bluelivesmatternyc.org. They do uh, a lot of great work. 
helping the families of uh, of fallen police officers. Uh, Joe, this was um, New York City's Mayor Eric Adams a couple of days ago talking about his plan to combat gun violence, is what he said. We are going to do a lot more than pray. We're going to turn our pain into purpose. We're going to unite and take action. New Yorkers feel as if a sea of violence is engulfing our city. But as your mayor, I promise you, I will not let this happen. What are you, what are you, what's your take, Joe, on what you're hearing from Eric Adams? Is this someone that you think has a handle on the situation? He's had it rough since day one. I think he spent more time in hospitals than he has in his own office. And it's not like he's been able to sit down and actually celebrate being mayor, especially with his police officers getting attacked so often and the high-profile incidents. I think Eric Adams has the best of both worlds. Now, why do I say that? Well, he was a state senator, if I'm correct, the borough president, and also a captain in the largest police department in the world. If he puts those two together and uses them properly and doesn't play any political games and goes head-on and follows through with what he says he wants to do, he can be a force to be reckoned with. But if he gets sucked into this political game and political pressure, he's going to go so far left and it's going to screw everything up. But the best thing for him right now is he has a clean slate. He gets to prove himself, allow him to go out there and either be successful or fail. But we have to be on his side and hope that we can bring New York City back because Mayor de Blasio drove this city into the ground, the greatest city in the world. And if Eric Adams has that passion, has that flair, I believe he could definitely get it done. Hmm. Well, uh, one of the things that we're seeing is clearly there is an issue with um, dealing with the violently mentally ill, particularly if they have a weapon. Are there any changes that you'd like to see in terms of how New York deals with the problem of the seriously mentally ill? I would, and and I believe we have to bring back our our, uh, homeless outreach unit, really, to capacity. We have to be compassionate, but at the same time, what people need to realize is the majority of individuals that call 911 is because it's the last resort. If they're calling us because they're saying someone's mentally ill and violent, it's because they can't control them. It's because they may get hurt or they may hurt themselves. So officers are going to have to do something in a sense of, yes, maybe putting them in handcuffs if they're a danger to their, to their environment, but we do not have to lock them up every single time we get called to a scene. We need to have state-of-the-art places other than emergency rooms and psych centers where we can bring them to so that we can try to rehabilitate them. That should be the purpose, a clean environment where it's a one-stop shop where you have doctors and nurses and security staff. You have food and showers and clean beds. You have psychologists and and, and social workers. And, you know, we need to step up our game because we always talk about, well, the mentally ill, the system's failing. Yeah, but what what is our politicians doing to correct it? They're not doing anything. So let's put our money. I'd rather see them put money into things like that with taxpayer dollars than wasting it on stupid programs like we saw with the last administration, like Thrive NYC that did nothing. And that billion dollars could have went to really helping the people that sure. needed it most in a mental health um, you know, topic. The, the, my colleague Dominic Carter has been saying, and a lot of the callers seem to agree with him, that in the case of the murder of uh, officers Mora and Rivera, that maybe there's some culpability from the on the part of the mother of the shooter who clearly was aware that her son had a, a gun fetish and was clearly aware that her son was violently mentally ill and that thought he was God. 
some people are saying that the mother should have done a better job advising the police that uh, her son was likely to be armed, particularly given the fact that the mother had a law enforcement background. What about you, Joe? Do you think the mother has any culpability at all here? I think the mother knew 100% that her son had a gun, and I think that she was too afraid to say anything because she knew that the situation was going to be bad and that the police may end up taking his life. But it ended up happening is he ended up taking two officers' lives before he ended up being shot and stopped. So I think that was a huge problem. Another issue is, is when you show up to a scene and you're asking, well, where where is your son? Well, he's in the back bedroom. Well, why is he there? Why is the door shut? You know, there's a lot of red flags. And I'm not going to Monday Night Quarterback. These these two officers were heroes. They did everything right. There's you know nothing more they could have done. Um, but but I think this situation could have probably been handled differently if this woman was forthcoming. She never once mentioned he had a gun. And on top of that, Frank, it wasn't just a gun. On top of have, having a 45 caliber Glock, he had a, a, a drum magazine. It looked like a, a Tommy gun. You know, and, and, and some people with the Second Amendment, they start coming at me for this nonsense. I'm for 100 percent people being able to defend themselves and having firearms. But there is no purpose in life whatsoever for anyone to have something that looks like a Tommy gun in their home sure. just because. I don't know what war you think you're going to. Maybe if you're doing, like, sports shooting or something like that, maybe. But just to have, just to buy – you know, you're, you're going to cause chaos in any community with something like that. So we have to be realistic, you know, and, and, and the first thing, and Frankie, you've been in politics for a while. The first thing you're going to hear from so many politicians is stricter gun laws. New York City, New York State has some of the strictest gun laws. The problem is, is they're not enforcing those laws on criminals that get caught with the guns. You know, these criminals are not going and legally buying handguns. Right. They're not buying rifles. Right. They're getting them on the black market. They're getting them from other criminals. So the purpose is when we catch them, throw them in jail, lock away the key, and let's have some accountability. Yeah, and uh, it's just such a shame. The more you read about uh, officers Rivera and Mora, they both seem like such great guys, and uh, especially given the fact that um, Officer Mora was an organ donor and he's still saving people's lives in death, really says a lot about uh, about them. Now, uh, Joe, our radio station is doing a moment of silence Friday morning at 9 a.m. We're also giving away complimentary Back the Blue pins. People can get it at wabcradio.com slash pin. Uh, those of us that are not police officers, help us out, Joe. Does that stuff make a difference in terms of officer morale? When when uh, when sometimes police officers, when you see them on the street, I see folks saying thank you for your service. Does that make a difference among cops in terms of their psychology and their mentality? Or do real cops view that as sort of corny? Help us out here. Not at all, Frank. When someone goes up to you and because and, and, we went through such hell the last couple of years with all these riots and, you know, the defund the police and police are terrible. When we have someone come out of the blue and say, thank you, we appreciate you, we need you, we want more of you, we see you, that goes such a long way. It reminds that officer of why they showed up to work, why they put on that uniform, strapped on that vest, and buckled up that gun belt. You know, we're there for the community. It sounds stupid and corny and cliche, but... You don't do this because you make a ton of money. You don't do it because you're going to get a great contract or be off on the holidays because it's a complete opposite. You're going to work odd tours. You might think you're going to leave the end of that tour and be told, hey, you're going to do a double. You have a detail tomorrow. You have court. It's not the easiest job whatsoever, but when people show you that little tiny bit of gratitude, 
that's when you're like, this is all worth it. You know, especially when you see them smile or you see that little kid that that's like, hey, I want to be a police officer one day or, or thank you. It's amazing. You know, it, it really makes it go uh, so much further and continues the I guess you say the good spirit of you looking forward to continuing to do the job that you set out to do. L- lastly, Joe, if people want to help make a donation to Blue Lives Matter NYC and help families like the Mora and Rivera family and a lot of the other families that you help, what's the best way for them to do that? Frank, I'm glad you brought that up because not even so much for my organization at this moment, which is a 501c3 and tax deductible, but we actually have a fundraising campaign for these two officers where we teamed up with the Detective Rafael Ramos Foundation and we teamed up with the NYPD Hispanic Society with a commemorative T-shirt honoring these two heroes. We're shipping everywhere in the United States and overseas. 100% of the proceeds that come in will be split evenly amongst the two families going forward. So you can go to Blue Lives Matter NYC.org. You can see that. And, uh, you know, you'll be able to most importantly, it's not even the donation to the family at this point. It's that when you wear that shirt, someone's going to be standing behind you and see their shield numbers and their names and say, those two guys are heroes. I want to know more about them. I want to hear about that story. And it keeps their memory alive. And that's the number one thing and the number one reason why we started this organization. Joe, it is always a treat to talk with you. I'm sorry that it so often seems to follow on the heels of tragedy. Thanks for coming on with me. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me. Sergeant Joe Imperatrice, if you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Speaking of money, uh, you really need to think about your long-term financial security. Last year, for instance, your dollar lost a ton of value. Inflation rose by almost 7% in just a month. That means in 30 days, your dollar became 93 cents this year. Stock market has been plummeting. Your portfolio is in trouble. What can you do? Gold. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and can protect your wealth. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that you should trust for investing in gold and silver. So if you want to take the next step in terms of your own financial security, if you want to protect yourself, Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all of your options, whether that's rolling your existing retirement into a gold IRA or whether it's holding physical metals directly in your home. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. No obligation to to do anything, really, except talk. 866-932-0635, or you can download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. W-A-B-C. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 W-A-B-C. Now, here's Frank Morano. Depeche Mode. People are people. They certainly are. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I'll I'll take your calls um, in just a moment. But, uh, you know, it's funny. Just in terms of that police shooting, a friend of mine who's a police officer, I spoke to him over the weekend. Not Joe, but uh, another friend of mine who I won't mention. He was on duty the night of of the shooting of officers Rivera and Mora. And he said, and unfortunately, this is not the first 
police officer shooting that he's been on duty during, and he's in Manhattan. And he said usually the standard practice is almost immediately it's like life just stops for police officers and you basically stop writing summonses and, you know, you wait and assess the situation. You go up to the hospital, you uh, see what's going on. He told me, and this is only anecdotal, I have no published reports of this, but this is somebody that I trust. He told me that he was instructed by the sergeant at his precinct, at a Manhattan precinct, to keep writing summonses. This is after two cops were shot who ultimately died. I mean, you want to talk about misplaced priorities. I mean, I'm all for writing summonses if people are breaking the the traffic laws. But come on. I mean, is that really the time that we need to emphasize? Keep writing summonses. Jeez. I think there were uh, all of 10 summonses issued that night in Manhattan after the shooting. 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. We're going to talk with Jimmy Church in about a half hour. Uh, Let me squeeze in at least one quick call here. Sylvia is in Connecticut. Hello, Sylvia. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. I just want to remind everyone that the previous caller said that the mentally ill need facilities. They need psychiatric help. Well, they used to have it. New York State used to have psychiatric centers off Route 22 in Wasaic, New York, Pine Plains, Dover. Connecticut used to have Fairfield Hills and a number of other facilities. The states closed them. Many of those facilities are still sitting abandoned and well and and um, just abandoned and not used. Thank you, Sylvia. Uh, 800-848-WABC. I will take more of your calls on this subject, and we'll get into a number of other subjects as well, including some big news on Jeopardy yesterday. Uh, some big news coming out of the Supreme Court. We'll talk everything from Jeopardy. To the Supreme Court, to aliens. Coming up, this is The Other Side of Midnight. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, if you <clears throat> watch Jeopardy and you record it or you TiVo it or you tape it or you DVR it or you do whatever and you don't want to know what happened, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to tune out right now. You've been warned and then we were going to we'll give spoilers away. Okay, now you're listening on your own. If you were sticking with us, I don't want to hear any complaints that we're spoiling anything. Now, we have been talking about the incredible winning streak of Amy Schneider, who had the second longest winning streak out of anyone 
going into yesterday's game, the only person on Jeopardy that has a longer winning streak than her was Ken Jennings. Ken Jennings uh, wa- is mostly the host of Jeopardy these days, and he's been hosting during most of uh, Amy Schneider's streak. Amy Schneider is a transgender woman, and she had earned over $1.3 million. Now, yesterday, she is playing Jeopardy, and usually by the time Final Jeopardy comes around, the game is out of reach. And she, no one, even if the other contestants bet all their money, they still can't catch her. Yesterday was one of the rare days where the game was not out of reach. So, and sure enough, after a dazzling 40-game streak, during which she was the first woman, and I know some people get upset with me referring to her as a woman because she is transgender, she became the first woman to surpass $1 million in regular season winnings, and then the runner-up to Jennings for most consecutive wins. Last night, she ended her reign on Jeopardy. She was beaten by Rona Talzma, who won during Final Jeopardy. He was trailing her. He was trailing her going into Final Jeopardy. He bet a substantial amount of his money. She bet enough of her money. He got the last clue to Final Jeopardy. She did not. But I do have to tell you, this was one of the most impressive. This was the second most impressive Jeopardy winning streak of all time. The intellect that this woman displayed on a wide variety of subjects, she didn't just know about history or science or geography. She knew about everything. She knew about sports. She knew about pop culture. She knew about language. She knew about literature. She knew about the Bible. She knew about everything. And it was really a sight to behold, and the ratings reflected that. Uh, This was incredible. So she was beat by someone named Rona Talzma, and you could see... Uh, this gentleman, Talzma, when he won last night, he was more shocked than anybody that he beat Amy Schneider. And again, I'm not taking anything away from him, but he got lucky on a couple of daily doubles. And um, I mean, he's smart, of course, but he's not in Amy Schneider's league. I don't see him being somebody that's going to have a lengthy winning streak. He's a librarian from Chicago, and it was kind of cool. He was wearing these neon yellow glasses uh, yesterday, but um, he won, and I was happy for him. He won. Um, But now that her winning streak is over, I don't know what she's going to do next. I'm sure she's going to have no shortage of of opportunities. But uh, she was leading, Amy Schneider was leading, going into double jeopardy, excuse me, final jeopardy last night. But Talzma, he was able to bet smart, and uh, he got lucky on that final jeopardy category countries of the world so uh it was one that i didn't know and uh, but as soon as he wrote the answer i'm not going to tell you what it was because we're going to use this for the thousand dollar minute at 4 30 uh, as soon as he wrote the answer i said oh yeah of course that's it that makes sense and my wife she and i were watching and she said oh amy's definitely going to know that but she didn't two of the contestants couldn't think of anything to write And one of them was Amy. So her streak is 
over. 800-848-WABC. If you want to comment on the end of an era, the last 40 days of Amy Schneider's winning streak, has, it, so we'll see her again when it comes to the Tournament of Champions. But if you want to comment, you can. 800-848-WABC. There's one other story that I've, been, that I've had in my stack of stuff all week, and uh, let me bring it to your attention before too much time passes. An escape of lab monkeys in, on a Pennsylvania highway has sparked fears of a virus outbreak, which is exactly what we need right now, right? After a woman who came into contact with them later fell ill. Listen to this. Michelle Fallon stopped to help a truck carrying 100 monkeys, and it crashed on Interstate 80, spilling animal crates all across the tarmac of the highway. Now, as they say, no good deed goes unpunished. And she developed virus symptoms after helping at the crash site. That's what she's saying. Who knows? I mean, uh, certainly the cynical among us will say she's trying to set up for some sort of a lawsuit. But state troopers said that four of the primates were on the loose and they warned the public not to try and catch them on Friday. They have all since been accounted for. But who knows what these monkeys were up to between the time that they got loose and the time that they were accounted for. I mean, you saw the movie Outbreak, right? It all began with that monkey. Now, you have this woman, Michelle Fallon, who was at the scene. She's being treated for symptoms of an unknown illness. And she was driving behind the truck when it crashed on the way to a research facility. She got out to help the driver with these smashed crates. Initially, she thought that they were transporting cats. When she put her hand on a cage, one of these three monkeys inside hissed at her, but she wasn't bitten and she wasn't scratched. She also said that she stepped in animal feces amidst the chaos as four monkeys ran away into woodland. The next day, she develops COVID-like symptoms. The next day, including a cough and pink eye, doctors gave her the first of four rabies injections together with an antiviral drug. She said that she was contacted by the CDC and is being monitored for symptoms of rabies and monkey herpes virus B. I mean, geez, next time you see a truck full of monkeys, maybe the lesson is to keep on driving. So uh, first responders who attended the crash were also told to check themselves for symptoms. The B virus is extremely rare in humans, but leads to severe brain damage and death if not treated promptly. Victims get it from monkey bites and scratches, and there's only one documented case of a human patient transmitting it to another person. So hopefully this turns out to be nothing. But given what we've just been through over the last year and a half to two years, I think this is pretty scary. Lab monkeys have also in the past been found to be infected with tuberculosis, cholera, MRSA. So, uh, I mean, I feel terrible for this woman. She was just trying to help, just trying to be a good Samaritan, a good citizen. And her reward for that is an unknown illness. I mean, uh, this is just terrible. Terrible. All right. Uh, 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on that. That's 800-848-9222. So last night I was on Facebook as I was posting the content of this show. 
And I, uh, as I was on Facebook, I go on the WABC Facebook page, and I see that they have shared a promotion from the Bernie and Sid Facebook page advertising that today at uh, 7.40 this morning, there was going to be a big announcement. Now, this is what the WABC Facebook page says. This is verbatim what it says. Big announcement. Listen to Bernie and Sid in the morning at 7.40 in the morning to hear the big summertime news. And it says, watch Bernie and Sid in the morning, weekdays from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. So now I'm wondering what this is because nobody told me anything about it. And then as I'm driving here, I get an email from our program director. It's not just sent to me. It's sent to Dominic Carter. It's sent to uh, Rich Rotabali, who works on Rita's show. It's sent to Matt Blaze and Molly, who work on this show. It's sent to Alex Barnard, who works on Rita's show. This is what he says. This is our program director, Matt Meany. Hi, team. There's going to be a special announcement made in Bernie and Sid tomorrow morning at 7.30, excuse me, 7.40. Can you please tease that on your programs tonight? Now, this is, this tells me this is something pretty interesting. Then he goes on to add, we're keeping it under wraps until then, but I can tell you, this is what the interesting part about this email, I can tell you that it's not earth-shattering and will make Red Apple Media and 77 WABC as dynamic as ever. Now, Can you believe what that guy said? I didn't know what to make of that, that it's not earth-shattering. But it will make Red Apple Media and 77 WABC as dynamic as ever. So then, first thing that happens when I walk in, Dominic Carter asks me, what's this announcement all about? I'm not sure why he thinks I know anything. I certainly don't. I usually don't. Then, after Rita leaves her show, she stops in and she says, hey, did you see the setup in the... Studio 77 area, the stage 77 area. I said, no. She said, it's set up like for a big announcement, almost like for a big debate. I mean, they're clearly going to have some sort of major press conference here tomorrow. And if you didn't see that, um, actually, where I don't know where you would have seen it. I'm going to link to that on my Facebook page right now. You could see the... You could see the setup. I'm going to put it on my Facebook so you could see what it looks like. It just looks like um, sort of a stage with a microphone and some chairs. So clearly somebody's going to be announcing something today at 740. And so we've been trying to figure out what it is. If you have a thought as to what it is, give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. You can also comment on Jeopardy or this woman who was uh, made ill by a monkey Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I don't know what it could be, and uh, nobody, God's honest truth, nobody has mentioned it to me. Uh, Sid hasn't mentioned it to me. Bernie hasn't mentioned it to me. The, pro, the the program director, the president of the station, the owner, nobody said anything to me about this. So clearly, they are uh, trying to keep this under wraps. I hope it's not a lame, anticlimactic announcement. You know, they used to get that in wrestling once in a while. 
Um, I remember about 22 years ago, there was this whole angle involving this masked character called the higher power. And people were speculating, oh, who's the higher power going to be? Is it going to be Mike Tyson? Is it someone else? And there were all these wild ideas. Oh, who's the higher power? Who's the higher power? It turned out to be just Vince McMahon. It was just it was such a disappointment. So I hope it's something good. Um, But uh, but who knows? Who knows? People are uh, reading into it all sorts of things. Maybe it's that they're going to be syndicated. Maybe it's uh, maybe they're going to be doing a uh, a fifth hour. Uh, maybe they're going to be adding someone else to their regular cast of weekly contributors because they're big into these weekly contributors. They have Peter King on once a week, Bo Deedle, Rich Lowry, and others. So maybe they're I don't know what the story is, but um, I don't know. Uh, they do do a, a video stream already, so maybe they're going to announce that this video stream is going to be carried on television somewhere. Uh, I don't know. 800-848-9222. Uh, there was speculation on the Internet that it had something to do with the new baseball team uh, that uh, our owner is the majority owner of, the uh, Ferry Hawks. Maybe that's the case. Maybe they're going to do something. Uh, I mean, it was recently announced this week that Edgardo Alfonso is the new manager of the Ferry Hawks. Maybe Edgardo Alfonso is going to be here. I wish somebody would tell me if that's the case, because I'd like to stick around and meet Edgardo Alfonso. That would be a real hoot. But um, if you have a thought as to what this announcement could be, give us a call. 800-848-9222. I just shared on Facebook uh, at Facebook.com slash Morano fan exactly what the exactly what the makeup of the situation looks like. Meantime, Novakova in Brooklyn has been patiently holding. Hello, Novakova. Good, good morning, Mr. Farah. I, I am 86 years old. I, I was not on public assistance. They're stealing my money for 26 years, I know. Give me a garden. The garden now runs away. I don't know. They asked me to sign a lease. I don't have anything. How can I sign if I don't have any information? Stole my money. Who stole my your money? It's Iran and Kuwait. Who stole your money in Kuwait? No, my guardian. Iran oh, your guardian. Yes, guardian. Yeah. I never asked for guardian. I was working all my life. I am 86 years old. Now a new council. I call them. They destroy the telephone. I, I can call, but I cannot receive answer. It is lies, lies, lies. And now I have a problem with, with the vision. I have to do uh, yeah. losing my vision. Novakova, I, I have to do operation. I don't have money. Novakova, thank you. I'm sorry that you're going through such a hard time. I'm not sure there's much that I can do um, to help you at this point. And um, I... I've heard so many stories like this and so many stories of people having issues with their guardian. You know, we, we highlighted this a lot when we were talking with um, with the uh, uh, Karen, um, uh, I forget her name, Karen Turk. Karen Turk has made this a big issue and a big cause in Florida. There's now bipartisan legislation to reform this in Washington uh, there was a lot of attention paid to this around the Britney Spears situation, the Free Britney movement. Now, and we were one of the first radio shows to cover it, it's very big with the Free Nichelle movement. Uh, so it is certainly something serious to worry about. I, I don't know what I can really do at this point, though, uh, Navakova. 
And uh, but you know, my heart goes out to you. I'm wishing you the best of luck. 800-848-9222. That's one 848 wabc See, unlike the the that the guy that called me when he was stuck on the highway in the blizzard, and he called Curtis last weekend as well. So they're still not letting this issue go. Where I was sort of joking that I'm not sure why you're calling me. I don't know what I can do. I really do wish that there was something I could do to uh, to help Novakova. By the way, coming up in 10 minutes, you're going to get to hear Jimmy Church. Jimmy Church is a brilliant, brilliant uh, radio and television talk show host. He's involved in film. He's host of a, a show called uh, Fade to Black, which deals extensively with conspiracies, with UFOs, the paranormal. I'm going to ask him a little bit about some of the issues that we've seen in that vein, uh, and I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. It's coming up in about 10 minutes. Meantime, Nick is in Manhattan. Nick, you have a guest for the announcement coming up at 740? I, I do, Frank. Nice to talk to you again. Could it be uh, Curtis announcing his uh, run for uh, governor? Oh, that's interesting. No, I, no, I would know about that if it was gonna if if that was gonna happen. If Curtis runs for anything this year, I see him running for U.S. Senate because remember he started that anti Schumer pack. Um, but right, uh, right, I don't right, right. I don't see him running for governor, and he already endorsed Andrew Giuliani. So I can't see him endorsing Andrew Giuliani one week and then announcing uh, announcing that he's running himself the next. That's just not Curtis's exactly. style. Good, good, good point. All right. Well, thank you, Nick. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. So I was listening to the uh, Cats at Night show last night, as I always do, and my wife happened to be in the room with me. And it's a great show. It's on every day from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. And sure enough, they have on as a guest, as they regularly do on that show, Charlie Gasparino. And John starts interviewing Charlie Gasparino, who's a friend of mine, and uh, he is a financial reporter for the Fox Business Network and a columnist for the New York Post. And uh, as they're introducing Charlie Gasparino, my wife says, well, how come you don't have him on anymore? And I said, well, because she knows I'm friendly. I'm thinking she knows I'm friendly with Charlie. And I said, well, you know, he doesn't really he's not into staying up at 1 a.m. You know, Charlie likes to have a few martinis after work. And chances are, you know, by 1 a.m., he's either asleep or he's pretty soused, I'll be honest. Now, and, and that's not any dig against Charlie. I'm drunk most of the time that I'm not on the air. So uh, I've gone out for drinks with Charlie. He's one of the great all-time people to drink with. Now, the difference between Charlie Gasparino and me is that the next day at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., Charlie Gasparino is in the gym uh, putting on quite a display. So he's in great shape in spite of the fact that he likes to party. But I said, you know, he's not up to, for staying up at 1 a.m. Then John starts interviewing him, and they said they were talking about some interesting things related to inflation and everything else. And she said, oh, no, 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 that's not who I meant. Uh, I'm thinking of Charlie someone else. She says, who's that guy, Charlie, that used to call your show all the time? And I said, oh, do you mean Charlie Finch? Oh, she said, yes, Charlie Finch. And I said, uh, yeah, he's still around for some reason. He's not into calling radio shows anymore. But it just so happens, would you believe it, that, and I've gotten a lot of people emailing me and writing in the Facebook group, hey, whatever happened to Charlie Finch? It just so happens yesterday he leaves me a voicemail. And you can leave me a voicemail, too, if you want it, 8168-MORANO. That's 8168-M-O-R-A-N-O. Charlie Finch, who used to, until maybe about six, seven months ago, used to call this show almost daily, 
left the following voice message. Afternoon, Frank. Charlie Finch here. Congratulations on your success. Hope you got the picture of our great friend Curtis Ellis that I sent you. Uh, I called your call screener at 2.30. You were conflating the great Seattle DH Edgar Martinez, who never touched a steroid with, I believe, Yvonne Rodriguez. But digging a little deeper like we used to do on the air, Frank. Rather than regurgitating the same boilerplate for an hour like you and the listeners do in my view on what's in the papers about uh, Bonds and Clemens, dig a little deeper. Remember Ken Kamenetti was San Diego in 98. My Yankees were sweeping them. He was looking for steroids in the tenements in the South Bronx, and it killed him. That kind of uh, story and, and the real human cost of the steroids can't be dismissed. It goes a lot deeper than Ty Cobb. By the way, it was Chris Speaker who was in the KKK, not Ty Cobb. Also on your interview with Bibi, here's a case where I agree with you on a lot of the issues. But again, as you do when discussing World War II with Pat Buchanan, they have a very simplistic take on some very complex issues, Frank, in my view. In Beebe's case, simply uh, blaming Pearl Harbor on FDR's wanting to squeeze the oil supplies ignores the fact that Japan saw weakness in Hawaii in our vessels and wanted naval dominance. That was a far greater motivation than merely being an island country which needs oil. So, uh, Frank, I am very proud of you. Kiss the kid and wait till two. Hope this helps. See you on the radio. You know, it's funny. Listening to that voice message from Charlie Finch, it was almost the equivalent of hearing him call the radio on a, on a daily basis because it was good to hear from him, and he brought up, brought up some great points, and he was very kind, one, to give, have my uh, to pass his regards on to my wife and my son, but I'm also glad that he um, mentioned Curtis Ellis, who I was very sorry when he passed away. Uh, Charlie actually introduced us and was a regular guest of mine and then was a partner when with Curtis Lewa and me when we took over the Reform Party. But Curtis Ellis then became a senior Trump advisor, a great guy. But here's what makes Charlie so annoying is that he is right on a lot of the points that he brought up, but he's also annoying with the criticism of focusing on such picky Yoon things. Now, he's right in that I did met, talk about Edgar Martinez, and I'm not sure why that was at the forefront of my brain. I think it was because I had a little bit of a problem with Edgar Martinez getting into the Hall of Fame because Edgar Martinez was just a DH. And in my view, you should not be able to be a DH and get into the Hall of Fame by the same standards as position players. I'm sorry, maybe that's positionist, that's my position. And uh, I really, I do take issue with him saying uh, that in this hour yesterday, we were focusing on the same boilerplate issues with respect to Bonds and Clemens that everybody else is doing. I thought, not only me, but I thought you, the callers, brought up a lot of substantive points on that front. So I completely dismiss what he's saying there. Um, I said I thought that I had heard Ty Cobb was in the KKK. I did not state definitively that Ty Cobb was in the KKK. And if it was Tris Speaker, so be it. Doesn't take anything away from the fact that Ty Cobb's off-the-field antics were not the best. 
And um, the story, the, the point that he made about Ken Caminiti was a good one. I wish he would have brought that up on the radio. And with in terms of oil supplies and World War II and my discussion with George Beebe yesterday about Russia, um, the interview was not about World War II. The interview was about Russia. It was one quick passing allusion to World War II. So let, let's not focus on the picky you. Let's see the big picture, folks. But for those of you that... Um, have been asking about Charlie Finch. Yes, he is alive, for better or worse. There you have it. There was his voice. But speaking of voicemail, and I'm very excited. I'm going to talk with Jimmy Church in about four minutes. Speaking of voicemail, yesterday, two days ago, actually, I wake up and I can tell that my wife is just agitated, agitated as can be. Like You can tell when someone, especially your spouse, is um, not pleased. She starts emphasizing words very – she's walking around in a very frenzied atmosphere. And even though if she's moving at a regular pace, there's an extra – it's almost like she's stomping her feet kind of. And she, there's an extra emphasis on every word that she says. And she tells me that her voicemail is no longer working. She said our son's pediatrician called to leave a voicemail that she never got. Uh, something about our insurance. By the way, big, big shout out uh, to Renee, who is in the human resources department at Red Apple and just a wonderful person. I apparently was supposed to, after our son was born, Renee Flores, I was supposed to uh, send his birth certificate to Renee so that he could be put on our health insurance. I never did it. Nobody ever told me I had to do it. I didn't know um, that I had to do it. I'm sure my wife had asked me about it multiple times, but I had other things in my mind. And so Renee Flores, in record time, got our son put onto my health insurance. Thank you, Renee. Very kind. So now he can go to the doctor without forcing us to go into poverty. Very, very lucky to have somebody like Renee Flores working here. But um, she says that all sorts of people have been leaving her voice messages over the course of the last month. And for some reason, she's not getting them. So she says to me, Call me right now. Leave me a voice message. So I call her, and it's not her voice greeting. Usually it's her voice saying, hi, this is Rachel. Uh, leave me a message. Bah, 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 bah. But yesterday when I called, it was just uh, a machine saying, please leave a message for bah, 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 the number uh, at the tone. And then it almost gets cut off. I leave a message. She never gets it. So she had to spend the bulk of her afternoon dealing with Verizon, trying to figure out why her voice messaging all of a sudden stopped. Now, they were able to restore it, but she had no idea how long she'd been without voicemail. We think it was at least since late December because her aunt had said she had left her a message on New Year's Eve that she never got. So who knows what sort of voice messages that she missed. How does that happen? How does voicemail all of a sudden just go away? Now, they were able to reset something, and it's working now, thankfully, but I'm curious if that's ever happened to you and what the cause of that is. Or if you work for in Verizon or any sort of telecommunications company and you've experienced that. If, if you have, I'd be curious as to your insight. Email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. But in just a minute, business is about to pick up. Jimmy Church, one of the finest broadcasters in the world in the galaxy. When it comes to exploring the unexplained and the mysterious, joins me straight ahead. Uh, Jimmy Church from Fade to Black, straight ahead. 
WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. The Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files. side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, we do try and do a fair amount of exploring all sorts of mysteries, the paranormal, conspiracies, time travel, you name it. But I don't think that there is a mystery that has more captivated the attention of not just Americans, but people all over the world than the subject of aliens and extraterrestrials. UAP, UAPs, are they here? Well, it appears there have been a number of documented sightings that the authenticity of which has been confirmed. Well, somebody who covers this on a daily basis in a manner that is so thorough, he makes me look like a total piker, is Jimmy Church. Jimmy Church has done it all. Radio, film, television. He is uh, hosting a terrific show called Fade to Black on the Game Changer Network. You've seen him on the History Channel. You've seen him on any show worth its salt that has anything to do with aliens. They featured Jimmy Church. He's kind enough to join me on the radio this morning. Jimmy, it's great to talk with you. I'm a big fan. Thank you, Frank, and uh, greetings from the West Coast. So, uh, Jimmy, what do you think has been behind the media starting to take all this alien stuff seriously? It used to be pretty much just relegated to late-night radio shows like yours and mine, and yet now we've seen the New York Times, CBS, Fox News, CNN, the Washington Post all do these series of articles not treating the UFO phenomena as uh, just something that's dominated by toothless drunk people, but as something that is actually sort of mainstream now. What changed over the years, Jimmy? Somebody flipped a switch. Somebody somebody that's in control said, you know, uh, it's okay to do this now, and we're going to move this thing forward. I don't know who flipped the switch, but suddenly it's okay. Frank, when you look at uh, not only the mass media, but you have to take a look at the Senate and the way that they are approaching it, the Department of Defense, the United States Navy, pilots, Lou Elizondo and his efforts, and, and Chris Mellon, suddenly it's okay to talk about, and somebody wants it to be talked about. And it, it, it puts me in a position where, yes, this is what I do, and and we have uh, others out there like me have been trying to push this forward to the UFO UAP question for many years, and we've been very frustrated. Now, all of a sudden, it's it's like 
popular? Well, who 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 is making this decision? Somebody flipped the switch, and now it's okay. Now I will say this though: um, it puts me in a great position where I'm not uh, followed by or preceded by the X-Files theme music. And that was always the frustrating thing. And now people want to talk to me about this and 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 others. And it's, it's an exciting time. So you, sure. you've noticed the seemingly overnight change in the, uh, the Overton window of allowable public discourse on this subject. That's not just me who's noticed that change. Yes. Well, you know, uh, when, when you have... Uh, not only, you know, Tucker Carlson, you know, and, and Fox moving this forward, uh, which is great and it's appreciated. And then you you look at uh, the the spokespeople for the Department of Defense suddenly coming out saying, yes, uh, these are authentic videos uh, backed up by uh, pilots and things that are saying something strange is going on. You have to just step back and go, okay, this is a great moment, but are we on the verge of something really extraordinary about to happen here? And it's become, Frank, and I'm being very serious, it's a tangible thing. Before, it wasn't something that you could feel, but there is a great effort right now to to bring this forward. And it's not only... Uh, the mass media and 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 the Pentagon and and all of that stuff and shows like mine, but you have uh, you know like Avi Loeb out of Harvard University coming straight out against others in academia, saying there is something happening here, and I am going to put my efforts and everything that I have around me and my resources to figure out what is going on in in not only our skies but interstellar travel that appears to be interested in planet Earth. In in terms of the new UFO reporting policies that Congress has put in place, do you think that'll change anything? Do you think uh, if the government is keeping secrets from the public or from other areas of the government, do you think that this new methodology of how these UFO sightings are reported will have any sort of substantive change? Well, what what we have to do, the the short answer is maybe. I would like to say yes. But the the long game here is that the government is not going to become our friend. They're not going to give us information. It is up to us as, as citizens of this country to get the information out of them and to keep the pressure on. And that pressure seems to be working. And our elected officials are now passing legislation, as you have just noted, uh, to establish uh, the right uh, team and group to collect the information from the agencies, the CIA and the FBI and and NRO and NSA and who, whoever the intelligence agencies are that are gathering information, and to be the go-between with the Department of Defense to establish reports to be presented back to Congress. This is now part of the budget and legislation. Now, the question is that we all want to know is how much of it comes back to the public. They've established two different uh, protocols for this. One, a classified report annually that will be presented 
to uh, Capitol Hill in December and, the, uh, you know, at the end of the uh, fiscal year and two public reports semi-annually every six months. Now, what's going to be the difference of that information? What's going to be public and what is going to be deemed classified? Now, my hopes are that the classified portions of this are going to be collected correctly from the agencies and the Department of Defense because they've never, as we know, historically been friends. Right? Sure. They don't even get along. So hopefully, if everything works correctly, we're going to be able to get the sharing of information. Some of it's going to be uh, uh, back to the public. But how do we move this forward and who is going to be, you know, the UAP czar? Mm. Who's going to be the one to to uh, navigate all of uh, the the agencies and the branches of the military and, and the Department of Defense? And, of course, ODNI, the director of national intelligence, who is at the center of all of this. We're talking with Jimmy Church. He is the host of Fade to Black on the Game Changer Radio Network. You can check out his website, jimmychurchradio.com. Learn more about some of the terrific segments that he's done on this subject as well as a variety of other subjects. What do you think, given everything you just said, your hopes, your fears, your skepticism, your optimism, what do you think the next step is in the UFO disclosure movement? Those of us that uh, that do want to see the government uh, sort of open the books and tell us what they know about Roswell and about a host of other incidents. What is the next step? I, I think the next step uh, is going to be something uh, out of the government's control. And, and what I mean by that is we have all of these other cogs in the wheel that, that seem to be working together for the first time, and that is the media that is uh, the educational system, that science is, is working on this. And, of course, we have the military and, and, of course, the Senate and Capitol Hill. All of these seem to be moving forward. But the thing that would push this over the top that I am hopeful for is something that is out of the government's control. Whether it is a leak, uh, it's a video, it's a, it's a sighting, I think that those that are in control of this information – they feel that something is coming, and they need to get out in front of this. And I don't know if they know how to get out in front of it. So is it this leak, this drip, drip of information that is coming out through the media and, and through science and, and, of course, Capitol Hill and Washington, D.C.? Is all of this orchestrated because they need to get out in front of something that is not in their control? And I think that's the curious point that all of us are waiting to see what this event is going to be. I, I talked to uh, quite a few people, uh, not only uh, that are pushing this forward, but, but military people and, and researchers and, and, and those that and names that we know. And they all seem to say the same thing, that we've come this far but there is a reason for it, and it's probably outside of the government's control, and it's about to break. And we can feel it, and we can see it, and these are exciting times, Frank. I am, For me, for, for what I do, for hosting and, and the things that I do to push this forward, the community, which is who I do this for, is excited because they have been – 
to say that they've been laughed at or ridiculed or teased for decades, not only oh, yeah. by others, but, but the government, too. And now for the first time, they can go, you know what? This is real. And and I feel not really a vindication, but a hope. And that's what's going on. It is so exciting, and you can feel it, not only with uh, my audience and the calls that come in, and I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, there's that part of it. But if you think about those out there that have had sightings or, you know, like a Travis Walton. You, know, that's- uh, you, you, you totally stole my thunder. I was just going to ask you about Travis Walton. I had a very serious scientist on uh, uh, yesterday, and I asked, you know, a listener asked a question about alien abductions, and I posed that question to him, and he said that uh, after getting to know Betty Hill and Travis Walton, that made him a believer in alien abductions. And that was my next question to you, Jimmy. What, how much credence do you give to people like Travis Walton, people like Betty uh, Betty Hill, who claim that they were abducted by extraterrestrials? Well, see, the, here's the thing. Uh, Travis, we're, we're talking about the mid-70s. We're in 2022. And and Travis, uh, yes, the book, the movie, and he's got a lot of supporters around him. His story hasn't changed, and uh, or the witnesses that are around him, and for him to still be around to see this at this moment, it, it it's a really big time. And this and and back to uh, the point that you just made. Those out there that have uh, taken this, the brunt of this, and have continued to roll that rock uphill, and it's been a tough fight. It's been a tough battle for them to be around at this kind of time, this moment in history. It means everything to me and to this community where they can now uh, maybe have a conversation with uh, their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers, where they've held it inside for so many years, right, because Travis has been, they don't want to be judged as being mentally ill or on drugs or drunk or something. And, and you know what? And this is the thing about that is millions of people can have psychosis, right? And, right, and, right. And even even I, Frank, have seen things that I can't explain. And I remember uh, I'll, I'll make this really brief. Uh, this is uh, maybe seven years ago. And I had this tremendous sighting with a couple of hundred people, and we all saw it. And uh, the executive producer calls me. I was hosting Coast to Coast at the time. And and she calls me up and says, okay, so what are you going to do this Friday uh, on Coast? I said, my guest is going to be me. And she said, why? And I told her, I just had this sighting, and I want to tell the world about it. And the reason for that, Frank, is that I needed to, A, come out of the closet. I needed to, as a member of the media, where I'm speaking to, you know, millions of people a night, that those that were around me, those 200 people, they needed to have somebody like me come out and say, this is what happened. And and I asked myself at that time, uh, if let's say some member of the media, you know, a Tucker, right, uh, and Anderson Cooper, what if they were there and saw what I saw? Would they go on uh, CNN or Fox or MSNBC tomorrow and, and talk about this and what they saw? The answer is no, they wouldn't. 
And it was a decision that I made that I would do this for the community. And I chose to go that route and, and take it on the chin, whatever happened. And, and that's how long I've been at this. And, and those out there that need to have a voice out there speaking for them, you know what? If I'm the guy, I, I'm okay with it. And once you come out right, and you're fully exposed, it, it's a relief. And now the relief that I've had, I think the rest of the community is, is feeling it. And the world, I think, is ready for it. It's, it's something that everybody is talking about. Uh, one of the uh, subjects that you cover regularly, and you've actually been on the show, Ancient Aliens, which is a terrific show, but you've also interviewed other people that have been featured on that show. And if people haven't seen it or are unfamiliar with it, it's on the History Channel. It's a very popular show. And so many of the episodes of that show have deal with the ancient alien hypothesis, first uh, published in Chariots of the Gods, which basically says that um, a lot that either humans are descendants of ancient aliens or or aliens played some role in early ancient civilizations, whether it was the formation of the Egyptian pyramids or other things. How much stock do you put into the ancient alien hypothesis? Well, uh, it's very interesting that you bring that up tonight because I just wrapped my show uh, a few minutes ago, and my guest was Giorgio Tsoukalos, right? And uh, Giorgio and his hair... Um, you know, has been, uh, he's a, he's a really good friend of mine and I haven't been on ancient aliens. Uh, so to be clear, I've been on the shows before ancient aliens on Friday nights. Uh, but I actually haven't been on ancient aliens, but, but back to, uh, your question, the, the influence that ancient aliens has had worldwide, it, that can't be measured. And and I've been watching Ancient Aliens since its very first episode. And Giorgio and I talked about your question at length today. I think that the ancient cultures around the world for thousands of years that haven't communicated with each other, and they didn't have a way to do that 5,000 years ago, all spoke about the same things, getting information from the stars, right? It's somebody spoke to them. And then they turn around and represent these uh, communications and this contact with, with cave paintings and Renaissance art and sculpture, and certainly through some of the architecture and the building that has gone on around the world. And I think if you take their statements in the part of the historical record and you plug it into today, Frank, it's the exact same thing. If you take communication from the gods or angels or the watchers and you just plug in E.T., you have the same stories that mm -hmm. we talk about today. I don't think it's any different. Uh, Jimmy, I could uh, talk with you all day. I, I hope you'll come back. It's a, a fascinating subject, and uh, I don't think anybody does it better than you. I appreciate the time this morning. Yeah, thank you, Frank. Behave and be well and enjoy the rest of 2022. Disclosure is coming. Now, at JimmyChurchRadio.com, if you want to comment on any portion of my discussion with Jimmy Church, give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. I am pretty optimistic, honestly, that uh, I, I think we are going to see some major watershed moments as far as disclosure goes this particular year. We'll see. Meantime.
if you want to make a watershed change in your digestive health, you need to think about Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. It is a gentle daily cleanse that tastes great and works to get things moving. It's all natural. It's non-GMO. It gives you a ton of energy without caffeine. One package will last you an entire month. It's only available by logging on to the website, GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. But you've got to use the promo code FRANK. Not only will that tell the good folks over at GetTheTea.com that you heard about it on this show, but that'll get you free shipping. So go to GetTheTea.com, promo code FRANK. It's time to feel relief, and while you're there, check out all the other products designed for your optimum health. Don't miss out. Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com, promo code FRANK. W-A-B-C. 77 W-A-B-C. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Shaking like a leaf on a desert heat. His daddy's got a bang that's so hard to beat. His UFO by Jimmy Sullivan. Fascinating conversation with Jimmy Church. Uh, if you want to comment on it on Twitter, you can find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M O R A N O. Find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Morano fan. You can see what the Stage 77 setup is like right now. If you want to speculate on what that big Bernie and Sid announcement is at 740. Uh, any guesses, Matt, as to what that uh, announcement is? Or do you, you don't know, do you? I have no idea. Any guesses? Like anybody else. Uh, I thought the um, the Ferryhawk guess was pretty good. But what could they be announcing? That we're going to carry the games or something? Yeah, maybe? that would be the announcement. Okay. Uh, I also thought maybe maybe they are going on a TV channel. I don't know. Maybe. All could right. Be. We'll see. 800-848-WABC if you want to add. So speaking of Facebook... We do have a Facebook group, and I always tell you, and you could join the Facebook group at Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And I always tell you, I'm always encouraging you to post on there because there's only a handful of people that post with their comments about the show. But there's literally thousands of people each day because I see the algorithms that check the Facebook group. And apparently one of those people is Lydia Serrani. Lydia Serrani does this. She's our news director, but she also does a daily segment with Bernie and Sid called, um, you know, Lydia Reports. And she happened to mention the Facebook group yesterday. It said somebody was saying on the Frank Morano fans and haters page, who kisses John Katzmatidi's butt more, me or you? There was a contest. I don't know if you know about it. I don't know anything about it. I don't kiss That's, the mantis. I, I, I state the facts. I, and the facts are that he's done a miraculous job saving Thank the station. You. He puts on well, a great show you. every weekday. He I puts on a great you. show every Sunday morning. Well, you beat me because you sit with him every No, no, day. they said I kiss his butt more. I'm yeah. not kissing anybody's butt. Anybody who knows me knows I tell it like it is. I'm just stating the facts. The guy has tripled the ratings. He brought this station back from the dead. We have the number one show at 5 o'clock. We are making a change facts. in the world. These are facts. So yep. if that's kissing his butt, then... Hey, hey like, I'm going to keep on doing we, it. We, we, we let's make French, out. We should French kiss his butt. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't listen to those people. I don't care. 
But I will tell you, it is interesting. People are checking this Facebook group. So if you want to offer your two cents about anything that uh, is going on on the show, that's the place to do it. M-O-R-A-N-O radio fans and haters. There was one thing that I had to respond to that I saw in the Facebook group there. And somebody had posted an article about these police officers that uh, that died. And uh, someone commented, essentially because this this, uh, officer Mora made the decision to donate his organs and save lives. Somebody commented they killed him, meaning this is what the person said. Truth is they killed him. Go read the New Yorker article, forget what year, check archives with the title of the article, As Good as Dead, about organ donations in the U.S. It said that a person cannot be truly dead for organs to be harvested successfully. Truth is, people declared brain dead have recovered. It was only a few days of being brain dead before they pulled the plug to harvest his organs. But it's taboo to even bring this up. Instead, just talk about what a hero he was and how horrific the incident is and the politics of it and hope nobody notices the disturbing but true fact. That was written by Rose Ellen uh, something, Rose Ellen Kaminer. That is absolutely patently untrue. I have to say that because this is one of those myths about organ donation and being an organ donor that has persisted for years. There is absolutely no truth to it. It has been thoroughly disproved time and time again. If you are an organ donor, it is no more likely that they're going to kill you than anyone else. In fact, maybe just the opposite is true. There is zero truth to that, and I wanted to respond to it on the air, lest anyone in the Facebook group think there was some truth to that. Uh, We're going to talk about the Supreme Court and the new opening on it, also the AC report coming up in about a half hour. Uh, Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. Well, by now you have heard the news, I am sure. The news that uh, Justice Breyer will be retiring and uh, Joe Biden, the President of the United States, President Biden, will get an opportunity to nominate a Supreme Court justice. Now, this is interesting for a few reasons. It's not going to change the outcome of any cases. Uh, This is a left of center. There's a left wing justice that is going to be replaced by another left wing justice. Every single decision that Breyer is involved in now, by and large, will be exactly the same. Abortion, affirmative action, privacy, whatever. Every single decision is going to be exactly the same. It is interesting for a few reasons. One, you have a situation where um, this Senate is 50-50. 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans. We have never seen a Supreme Court justice confirmed when it was a 50-50 Senate. Never has happened before. Uh, So that would be a historical first. Now, I do happen to think that um, the whoever Biden picks will be confirmed 
because there are enough Republicans and 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 I'm not a Republican, but this is my view, is that um, you should give strong deference to the president in terms of nominating Supreme Court justices. I have never believed that the Senate should be uh, serving as a veto on whoever the president picks as a Supreme Court justice. I think the role of advise and consent is really to make sure that somebody doesn't, like they might do in ancient Roman times, appoint their pet dog or somebody totally unqualified to the Supreme Court. Now, no president, Democrat or Republican, is going to do that. Uh, they're going to appoint someone that's that's qualified. But you have enough Republicans in the Senate that would vote to confirm a Democratic nominee, people like Lindsey Graham, for instance, people like Lisa Murkowski. They would certainly, even though they might disagree with the nominee's ideology, they would certainly vote to confirm. A couple of interesting things here. Um, one is that it look, President Biden had pledged and has pledged to nominate a black woman for this role. Now, on the one hand, I hate the this stuff. I hate this identity politics. I hate the um I you know, I just I just hate that. I I would like to take the approach of saying that um you know, just pick the most qualified person, but look, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen with either party these days. And I get the fact that there is a point to be made in terms of being a uh, a role model, uh, a judicial role model, etc., for other people. But uh, so that's interesting. Now, who is it going to be? Uh, there's a lot of speculation about who it might be. Some people are saying it might be uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, or KBJ for short. She is a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Another name that's getting some buzz is Leandra Kruger, who's a justice on the California Supreme Court. Now, that would be nice if it were to be uh, a state court judge rather than another D.C. Court of Appeals judge. One of my big problems with the Supreme Court is lack of diversity. And when I say lack of diversity... I don't mean there aren't enough blacks, there aren't enough Hispanics, not enough women, not enough Italians, not enough Protestants, not enough Asians, whatever, not enough gays, not enough transgenders. No, there is a tremendous lack of educational diversity, occupational diversity, diversity of life experience. If you look at the nine justices that are on the court right now, eight of them, and until Amy Coney Barrett, it was all nine, but eight of them went to the same two schools. I mean, that's crazy. You talk about living in a bubble. You talk about groupthink. Should the most important legal decisions, the decisions that define a country and, a, and, a, and the laws that we live by for the next half century, should they be def- defined only by people that have gone to Harvard and Yale? No. Addition to that, it's not just the schooling. Eight of the nine of them all had the same job before they were on the Supreme Court. They all came from the Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, that's nothing against the the Circuit Court of Appeals. They do a lot of great appellate work there. But how about some diversity of experience? How about some people that have actually tried some cases? How about some people that have prosecuted cases? How about some people that have been defense attorneys, heaven forbid? How about some state judges? 
to me, the biggest problem, well, not the biggest problem, one of the many big problems with the Supreme Court is groupthink. Groupthink. The other problem we're going to go into in a minute, but one uh, one thing that my friend Geraldo Rivera brought up yesterday, and uh, I and I think Rita Cosby may have mentioned this as well, is the possibility of Kamala Harris being nominated as a Supreme Court justice by Biden. And one listener asked my opinion, and I'm going to just punt this right over to you. Uh, one listener asked my opinion about whether she could be confirmed. Uh, one is, I'm not sure she would take the job. She probably would, but she's right now a heartbeat away from the presidency. A guy that is already, uh, you know, not exactly looking virile and healthy, and certainly I wouldn't be betting is running for a second term. Is she going to give away a shot at the presidency to sit on the Supreme Court? I don't know. I don't know. So what do you think? Uh, If Biden holds true to this pledge to appoint a black female and um, and he does not appoint one of the judges that I mentioned, but instead appoints his vice president, do you think Harris could get confirmed? Do you think Biden might actually do this? My answer to I think she could get confirmed because, as I said, it does not shift the balance of power in the court at all. And even among Republicans, there's a lot of um, hesitation about voting against a black nominee and a female nominee because you don't want to be portrayed as racist or sexist. And that's how it would be portrayed going into the midterm elections. If, if the Republicans try to sink Kamala Harris or any black female nominee the way the uh, the Democrats did to some conservative nominees over the years, going all the way back to Robert Bork, that would be portrayed uh, in swing districts and in and in competitive Senate elections as being racist and anti-woman. So I don't think the Republicans are going to do it. I think they're going to approve whomever Biden picks because they still have a conservative majority on the court, either 5-4 or 6-3, depending on how you count Chief Justice Roberts. But tell me if you have a different view. 800-848-9222. Now, the issue of a lack of intellectual diversity and an issue, the issue of the lack of diversity of experience is one problem that I have with the Supreme Court. But at the end of the day, the Supreme Court has way too much power over our lives. We all know, well, not we all know, many of us know about the Marbury versus Madison decision where the Supreme Court took it upon themselves to declare laws unconstitutional. No one gave them that power. It's not in the Constitution. They took it for themselves, okay? Then they really didn't get into the habit of nullifying laws until the Dred Scott decision in uh, the late 1850s, and we now know that was incorrectly decided. But the Supreme Court didn't go hog wild in terms of nullifying the decisions of legislators really since the 20th century and the last 50 years especially. My view of the Supreme Court is they should not be in the habit of nullifying laws that are passed by democratically elected politicians. 
unless, as Hamilton says in the Federalist, Federalist Papers, the law they passed is at irreconcilable, in, irreconcilable variance with what the Constitution says. My view is, is that it's not the Supreme Court's job to save us from ourselves. And I say that whether whether the court is making liberal decisions or conservative decisions, the place where political decisions should be decided is by politicians, not by judges. And unfortunately, these judges who serve for life are they take on the role of politicians. They've become essentially a, a council of elders, essentially an ultra veto council. And my problem with that, I have a lot of problems with it, but my problem with that is these are judges that know about the law, okay? They don't know about economics. They're not trained in economics. They're not trained in the military. They're not trained in public health issues, as Justice Sotomayor made plainly evident when she gave a radical misstatement of facts a couple of weeks ago. They don't know about climate change. They're not scientists. They're not media executives. They're not experts on anything except the law. And yet the decisions that they make, which they do time and again to nullify laws passed by democratically elected politicians, they're serving as a council of elders and they serve for life. That's why these justices make their decisions about when to retire Purely based on politics. Why is Justice Breyer retiring now? Well, look, Alan Dershowitz and Joe Lieberman were on the Cats at Night show yesterday. John Katsimatidis asked the question, was Justice Breyer pushed out? Dershowitz basically sort of said yes. He didn't say he was pushed out, but he was strongly suggested that he leave. And that was done because they didn't want to see a repeat of what happened with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They didn't want to see her hang on or him hang on and then die when there was a Republican in place to appoint a Republican or a conservative justice on the Supreme Court. And I think the guy that has explained this better than anyone is Professor Eric Siegel of uh, the University of Atlanta. And I've talked to him many times over the years. He's the author of a wonderful book on the Supreme Court uh, called Supreme Myths why the Supreme Court is not a court and why its justices are not judges. And it's a, it's a short book. It's, it's a little older now. It's over 10 years old. But it is just as relevant today as it ever was. And he's one of my favorite people to talk to on the issue of the Supreme Court. So I spoke to him in September of 2020 when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. And we we're going to have a whole debate about what to do with her Supreme Court seat. And he put it, better than anybody in terms of what the structural problems are with the Supreme Court. This was Professor Siegel. Why is the Supreme Court such an awful institution? Well, so so I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg had as much character as any lawyer or judge I've ever read about or known about. Yet even Ruth Bader Ginsburg could not overcome the siren song of life tenure, holding your office for life, and... Um, basically unreviewable authority. So if you look at her voting record, she voted liberal almost every time, Uh, certainly in every important case, affirmative action, abortion, guns, campaign finance reform, separation of church and state, uh, the reach of statutory laws about employment discrimination. She voted liberal every time. Now, I'm on record over and over and over again 
of criticizing Scalia and Thomas and Alito and others, but let's take Scalia and Thomas, what a coincidence that their version of the original meaning of the Constitution and the Republican Party platform of They're identical. 91 right. and today are identical. And what a coincidence that Ruth Bader Ginsburg finds in the living Constitution that she you know, um, advocates for, basically the entire progressive agenda of the Democratic Party, which, Frank, you know I agree with, right? You know I'm a Sure, you're a card-carrying you know progressive. I am. But it can't be the case that the Constitution means exactly what Scalia and Thomas wanted to meet for their Republican conservative priorities or that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's progressive priorities are all reflected in the Constitution. It's a vague, ambiguous document when it comes to litigation. And obviously what's happening here is all of these justices are pouring in their personal values. Now, one quick, one quick disclaimer. Somebody will come back at me and say, what about Kennedy and Souter and Blackman and White and all of the – and O'Connor, all of these judges who sometimes voted liberal, sometimes voted conservative? And the answer is their politics were left of center or right of center. They weren't far left or far right. So their moderate politics, all of those justices, all five of them, were reflected in their decisions as well. It's just that their politics were moderate as opposed to Ginsburg's and Sotomayor's that are far left or Scalia's and Thomas's that are far right. So one bad thing is we shouldn't have a country where the preferences of nine or five unelected, life-tenured lawyers and judges control our country. Professor Siegel's absolutely right. Now, he comes at it from a left-wing perspective, but it doesn't matter. The Supreme Court should not be viewed by politicians as a political football. They should decide cases. They shouldn't be nullifying laws. Bottom line. And, you know, we spoke, and this was during the 2020 election, we spoke about how inappropriate it was for the Supreme Court issue and the issue of the vacancy to play such a dominating role in the election because the Supreme Court shouldn't be doing that. It's nowhere in the Constitution, and it's been totally politicized. The 2016 election was very much about the Supreme Court. The election of 1936 was very much about the Supreme Court. The election of 1800 was a little bit about the courts. This is crazy for democracy. It is just crazy. And by the way, there's a very progressive NYU law professor from your around, the, around you know, your neck of the woods who, who like me, is card-carrying progressive, who is on record this morning saying exactly the same thing as I. It's not, finally, it's not just one voice, one progressive voice crying in the wilderness. The Supreme Court is too strong. It's always been too strong since 1857. It needs to be changed. Part of the problem is life tenure. We need to do away with life tenure. Give the, I say, give all the justices going forward, and this obviously would require a a change. There's dispute about whether it needs to be a, a constitutional amendment or whether it could be done through legislation. But I say, let the justices be paid for life. But give them a 15-year fixed term and let them hop the circuit after the end of that 15-year term. 15-year fixed term. They can't be reappointed to a second term. They can't be removed by whomever the president is unless they're, you know, impeached. But they can't be removed except for impeachment for cause. 15-year fixed term. So you do away with these politically motivated retirements like we saw with Kennedy. Like we saw, Well, not so much with Kennedy. But like we saw certainly with, uh, with Breyer. And like we saw with uh, O'Connor, I no life tenure, no nullifying of laws. 800-848-WABC. Professor Siegel again, and I agree with him completely here in spite of our 
possible political differences. He said, and I agree, that the court is the wrong institution for dealing with the major policy issues that the country needs to deal with. On left and the right, the judges have done too much for too long. So we have that long tradition. And we have life tenure. And you add to both of those things. Our Constitution is almost impossible to amend, right? In, in over 200 years, it's been done 27 times, but really only 17 times because the Bill of Rights doesn't really count. And then you take away prohibition, that's 15. Um, and really, the Reconstruction Amendments are what, you know, the most important. We can't amend our Constitution to overturn Supreme Court decisions. So you give these judges life tenure, vague text like freedom of speech, equal protection, due process, a long tradition of overturning laws. And we can't overturn their decisions. And any human being, any human being who is given that authority will eventually come to see the law as they see their preferences. And that's as true for Scalia as it is for Ginsburg, as it is for Kennedy, as it is for Souter. It is not an indictment on any particular justice. It is an indictment of the institution. It is playing too big a role in our lives at a time when we have so many more crises, you know, pending. I completely agree there. Your thoughts on my take on the Supreme Court, which mirrors Professor Siegel's, your thoughts on who President Biden is going to nominate. Do you think there is a possibility that he might nominate Vice President Harris? I personally don't. I think he's going to stick with one of these judges uh, that they're talking about. But um, it looks like he will keep his pledge to nominate a black woman. We'll see. 800-848-9222. I'll tell you what would be interesting. This won't happen. This won't happen. But what would be interesting is if Harris is nominated and then all the Republicans vote against her and all the Democrats vote for her and then it's a 50-50 tie in the Senate, who gets to break the tie? Kamala Harris. Now, wouldn't that be interesting? Now, it won't happen. That's like out of a movie. That's like out of Veep. It won't happen. But. It is interesting to think about. 800-848-WABC. Uh, it's 800-848-9222. Jim is calling from Afton, New York. Jim, where is Afton, New York? Frank, Afton's a little town just east of Binghamton. It's like Mayberry. I'm a Jersey guy, but I bought a farm up there about six years ago. Cool. Good for you. Uh, I've talked to you before. I think Harris is highly incompetent as vice president, but she's not stupid. And she's a rabid opportunist. I think she knows she's unpopular, and her 15 minutes of fame in the White House is going to go up in the air unless something happens to Biden. She gets put in there, and I've heard she's been in talks with Hillary Clinton, read somewhere as being vice president. But anyway, I think she would take it. I think she'd be confirmed because she'd have a lifetime prestigious position, and I think she would take it. Well, you might be right, Jim. Here's why I don't think that she would uh, because. Already, the oldest person ever to assume the office of the presidency was Joe Biden, right? He will, you know, he was 78 years old when he was sworn in. Oldest president ever to be sworn in. So, look, and if you look at the guy, he does not look healthy. I mean, I hate to put it that way. He doesn't look healthy. He doesn't sound healthy. I mean, there is an excellent chance that between now... And three years from now, he might have to step down for health issues or, and I'm not wishing this on him or anybody, he could die. Uh, He's already suffered multiple brain aneurysms, and he's the oldest president of all time already. 
We've seen a lot of presidents die who are far younger than him. Now, she's got a calendar. She's got to know he's already the oldest president. She's got to see how he looks and realize that there's a good chance that she, if she keeps her powder dry for three years, might end up as the president. So I don't see her throwing that away. First of all, I don't think Biden's going to pick her. But even if he did pick her, I don't see her taking the nomination. But who knows? But if she does get if she if I'm wrong on those first two things and look, I'm wrong on most things. But if she does get nominated, I do think she'll be confirmed 100 percent. I think whomever Biden picks will be confirmed. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Mary Beth in Huntington. Hello, Mary Beth. Good morning. I woke up to this and I'm ready to go. I mean, Wonderful. They're going to um, pick you, I hope. I'm not a black woman. Ah, darn, <laughs> darn. Okay. But, you know, and I truly do not have the qualifications, um, nor does she. Um, I agree with Jim, though. Um, I think this has been talked about in the circles that surround and control Mr. Biden for quite some time. And um, they want her out. They want someone in who can take over for him and win the next election, because right now it doesn't look good for them. Um, I was very interested in the uh, things that the gentleman you interviewed said, and I'm sorry, I I don't remember his name. Sure, Um, Eric Siegel, very bright guy. Eric Siegel. Um, I think we need term term limits in the Senate and the House as well as saying to Supreme Court justices, you serve for 10 or 15 years, because this is all they're locking people in forever. You're, you're right. You're right, Mary. But you get no on. argument from me there. Thank you. So, uh, you know, so it's so look so far, both Jim and Mary Beth disagree with me. They think Biden might pick Harris. And so does Geraldo. Geraldo was out there saying, well, he didn't say Biden would pick her. He said he should pick her. So so far, I'm in the minority. What do you think? Do you think he's going to pick her, number one? Do you think she'd get confirmed, number two? 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Terry in Manhattan. Hello, Terry. Hi, Frank. Frank Terry uh, in Manhattan. It's been a long time. Where have you been hiding? I'm just uh, in bed <laughs> under the covers. It's great to hear from you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm Mazel Tov. I'm really happy for Rachel. Thank you very much. Thank Is, you. You know, let's let's face it. He probably looks just like you smoking cigars. But what I must ask you is um, to consider the fact while you presented this topic that you use the word politician instead of representative. And the problem with the balance of power and the lack of representation and the frustration that the left and the right now has is that we no longer have citizen representatives going to legislating law. And that's why there's so much more power. And it's not by accident in the Supreme Court. So please, the word representative, not politicians, if you would, Frank. I love you very much. Well, thank you, Terry. Look, that's a great point. The reality of the situation, though, is, and we're going to talk with a politician, uh, newly elected councilman at large in Atlantic City, Bruce Weeks, in just a minute. The reality of the situation is if you do the things that a politician does, ask for people to vote for you raise money, campaign on different issues, win a party's nomination, 
run for office, participate in a debate. The reality is if you do that, you're a politician. You are. I mean, and the people that serve in Congress, they are politicians. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Corey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Corey. Hey, Frank. How are you doing? If I were any better, I'd be illegal. Great. Um, Since you're very knowledgeable, I like asking questions about this. Uh, Question is, um, are there qualifications for to nominate a Supreme Court justice and or do they have to be a a judge or have a law degree? Uh, That is an excellent question. The answer to both of those questions is no. They do not have to have a law degree. They do not have to have been a judge. Uh, One of the most famous Supreme Court chief justices of all time, Earl Warren, uh, was never a judge. He was the governor of California. Um, And uh, Judge uh, Justice Elena Kagan, she was never a judge. In fact, I was so fed up with the um, with the all the same people being picked to fill Supreme Court vacancies that I wrote to both President Obama and President Trump and urged them. If we're going to have a Supreme Court that still acts as an ultimate veto council, I urged them to pick a non-lawyer. For the Supreme Court, I would absolutely love it. And I wrote both of them a lengthy letter. Neither of them responded to me uh, about why I thought this was the case. Because, look, if if you're going to look at constitutional law, is there anybody that knows the Constitution better than somebody like Rand Paul? He's not a lawyer. Uh, And, uh, look, if you're going to make decisions about uh, all these various aspects of society, economics, the military, medicine, uh, science, the climate, the environment, taxes – How about having some other smart people there other than court of appeals judges? So, no, there's no requirement. There's no requirement at all that um, that you be a a lawyer or a judge. However, the political reality is of the situation that we've seen. We've seen too many justices get nominated by a president thinking they were going to go in one direction and then they end up going in another direction. Um, You know, for instance, the Gerald Ford nomination of uh, uh, you know, of uh, the, the, the name is uh, Stevens, but that's one example. But you have uh, all these these examples of of presidents picking justices that they think are going to be left and they go right or vice versa. So now you have these lists prepared by these right wing legal groups and these left wing legal groups and the presidents that nominate justices they are They don't want to take a chance. So they pick someone who's between the age of 49 and 59, who has an unblemished record of ruling after ruling exactly the way that they want decisions decided for the next 30 years. It's a shame. Uh, I'd love to see a non-lawyer on there for the reasons I stated in my letter, and we'll do a, a whole segment on that in the coming days as we get closer to Biden picking someone. But the reality is it's not going to happen. He is going to pick a lawyer. My guess is he's going to pick a judge. Probably a court of appeals judge. Hey, uh, it is my favorite time of the week. We're going to go to live to Atlantic City, a very special edition of the AC Report. In mere moments, we're going to talk with the new at-large councilman there, Bruce Weeks. He's already surprising some people. And uh, he is uh, kind enough to join us at this ungodly hour. But first, if you're not lucky enough to win at the casinos in Atlantic City, don't worry. All is not lost. You can still be a winner in terms of your financial future. 
gold. Gold, silver, and precious metals offer a hedge against inflation. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that you should trust for investing in gold and silver. You have to take this seriously. Oil prices are rising. We have a supply chain crisis. And all of this is only serving to compound our existing inflation problems. You can trust Legacy Precious Metals because they give you unbiased information based on your individual situation. It's time to be proactive before you regret it and take steps now to protect yourself. Call Legacy Precious Metals. They can advise you on all your options, whether that's rolling your existing retirement account into a gold IRA or whether that's holding physical metals directly in your home. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. Or you can download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. WABC. This is the AC Report. Well, it blew up the chicken man in Philly last night, and it blew up his house too. See what them racket boys can do. Now there's trouble busting in from out of state, and the DA can't get no relief. Gonna be a rumble on the promenade, and the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact. Ah, yes, it is time for the AC Report, our weekly look at what's happening in Monopoly City, one of the most interesting towns, one of the most interesting cities in the world, quite frankly. There's not a city that is quite like Atlantic City anywhere, and I am just thrilled that we are joined by one of Atlantic City's newest public servant, the newly elected, newly sworn in at-large city councilman for Atlantic City. He also happens to be the founder of the Northside Small Business Academy, and he's already making a lot of waves in Atlantic City. Bruce Weeks, councilman, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. I know it's early. Uh, yes, uh, good morning, Frank, um, and good morning to your listening audience. It's very early for me, yeah. <laughs> now, i got to <laughs> tell you, I, I did some uh, homework on you, and I, I asked a lot of friends that I have in Atlantic City, uh, both in the political realm and outside of the political realm, about you. And uh, I, I don't know, you've got them all fooled, because I heard rave reviews uh, from Democrats, from Republicans, from non-political people all about you, and uh, people have pretty... Pretty high expectations for you as a, as a councilman. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Um, and a lot of that is just, you know, establishing good relationships with, with people throughout the years. Um, and just, you know, being a fair person throughout the community, being active and involved in things. And, um, you know, looking to continue that as I, as I you know, begin my journey on council. 
So um, for people listening outside of Atlantic City that might not have a councilman at large, that means you're elected not from one particular district, but you're elected to represent the whole city. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. So we have um, six uh, uh, designated wards. I, I guess you the equivalent of a district in Atlantic City. So we have six ward council people, and we have three um, at large, which, which gives us a total of nine council people in the body. Now, you grew up in Atlantic City. You were a graduate of uh, Atlantic City High School. You come from a very distinguished Atlantic City family. For people that haven't been there either ever or in a while, what makes Atlantic City so unique as a place to live in, a place to grow up in, as a place to visit, as a place to raise a family? What makes Atlantic City special? Well, what makes it special is, is the Atlantic Ocean and the boardwalk. Um, and as you mentioned, the casinos. Um, but there's also, uh, you know, a comfortable living here in Atlantic City. It's a, it's a slower pace. You know, it's South Jersey. It's a beach town. Uh, but we see a lot of action. You know, we get a lot of entertainment shows and beach concerts and things of that nature. Um, so it's kind of like a tale of two cities. You know, we, we have, a, a, you know, 40,000 residents that live here. Um, but we also, you know, receive millions of visitors a year as well. And it's only 48 blocks, of, you know, in Atlantic City. So it's a very dense, uh, you know, dense, dense city when it comes to the summertime, you know, during the busy, the busy months. But in the off season, it's very quiet. Um, it's, it's a great place to live. Um, it's a great place to raise a family. Your father, also named Bruce Weeks, was the first black chief municipal judge in Atlantic City. He was the first black lawyer to become an assistant city solicitor. And uh, he was the first full-time municipal public defender in state history. Now, your dad passed away, unfortunately, but he's something of a a local legend in Atlantic City. I have to think those are some uh, pretty big shoes to fill. What was it like growing up as the son of, uh, of Bruce Weeks? It was great. I mean, I, I, I always call myself, I was one of the lucky uh, kids in Atlantic City. I had both of my parents. Uh, as, as you mentioned, my father was a judge. My mother was a nurse. Um, and he was just a very humble, uh, down-to-earth person. If you ever saw him outside the courtroom, you would never think that he was a judge. Um, you know, he drove a very basic car. Um, you know, he wore the same clothes every day when he got out for work. He played the lotto every day. Um, he, you know, he was very active in, in, in our lives also. Um, you know, he attended all of our sporting events. Um, you know, he was just a very active parent and a, a very great role model, as you could imagine, growing up. Um, and what made it easy was that a lot of people uh, found him very fair. Um, so, you know, the public perception of him was always of, of high sentiment from folks. So that made it easier for us because, as you said, you know, a lot, everyone knew who he was. Um, so it was a great thing that um, he had a great reputation. Um, so, you know, that tends to trickle over to the home if it's a negative thing. So, um, you know, I was very appreciative of the way he carried himself um, and all the examples that he set. It was really a great blueprint for for the entire family. You, I had read, actually, before getting elected, in addition to working in finance here in New York City, you spent some time working at the casino cage at Harrah's. Uh, what, did, what did you do? Did you exchange chips for cash? Were you a dealer? What did you do? Yeah, so so I was a cashier, so I, I exchanged uh, chips for cash. You know, we did uh, currency exchanges, markers, uh, cash advance. Um, you know, we did the whole the whole gamut. You know, gamut of uh, of I guess financial services within the casino. Um, but it, it was a, it was an interesting experience. 
uh, you know, moving back to New York, from New York to Atlantic City um, and, and ending up in the casino. Um, I actually at one point was working for the city of Atlantic City as an accountant uh, full time, but then at the same time working at Harris part time. So I was working seven days a week. Um, and it, it's a lot of energy in a casino, as you can imagine. Um, Harris has a great culture. Um, so I really enjoyed my time there. Um, and you get to learn, uh, you know, all the different operational aspects of the casino industry. Um, so I just tried to soak in as much as I could while I was there. Um, and, I, and I truly did enjoy my time there. You are getting a lot of attention already, even though you've only, only been in office for 26 days and uh, quite a reputation being um, as being independent. Now, you ran on a Democratic ticket with the mayor, Marty Small and his team, uh, but Apparently, uh, they're saying that you split with your running mate, George Tibbet, and voted Aaron Randolph for council president. Also, um, it's the Atlantic City, the press of Atlantic City reported that you criticized the mayor's uh, policy that council members can't take constituent issues directly to department heads. Instead, they have to take their concerns to the council president uh, and to uh, the business administrator. Uh, what's going on with you? Are you uh, disloyal all of a sudden? What's your deal? Um, I, I don't want to call it disloyal because I work for the people. I was elected by uh, the residents and the and stakeholders in Atlantic City. Um, yes, we all ran together um, and we agreed to uh, agree on certain things, certain issues. Uh, however, um, I don't want to step into politics and just be a follower. So if there's something that I believe is is bad policy, I don't want to promote that. I don't want to perpetuate an environment where um, it's the same old, same old, uh, you know, normal course of business, you know, in the political scene in Atlantic City. Um, and they kind of knew that going into it. I always had my own mind. I was always an individual, uh, but I know how to be a team player. Um, so just because I may have voted a certain way early on doesn't mean that when good policies come across the desk that I won't uh, support those. It's just that what has been presented thus far uh, in front of me, uh, when I was able to analyze it and look at it as a whole, it's just something when I look back at it, I don't want to regret having promoted it and voted yes for it because residents are going to hold you accountable. And I always have a reasoning for doing uh, voting yes or no for something. I don't just blindly follow a trend or what's popular. Um, and I don't want to be a follower um, as a public leader. All right, we're talking with Bruce Weeks, newly elected councilman at large in Atlantic City, elected by all the people of Atlantic City. I guess one of the most controversial issues in Atlantic City over the course of the last decade or so has been the issue of state control. For the last decade, Atlantic City, or a little less than the last decade, Atlantic City has been uh, basically run by the state of New Jersey. And there's a, a big dichotomy, both within Trenton and within Atlantic City, about whether that's the right approach. Do you think Atlantic City should be able to control its own finances and its own destiny? Or do you think that the state control of Atlantic City has been a good thing? Um, so I, I believe that at some point um, the state is, is going to have to hand over the keys back to local government. Um, however, I think that about a year or two ago, um, it kind of became a good thing from a finance perspective for the city. Um, there were more internal controls put in place. Uh, you know, Atlantic City government became more operationally uh, efficient. Um, so there are pros and cons of, of state control. Um, obviously, there's a lot more bureaucracy. So 
you know, council meeting minutes have to be approved by the state. They can veto certain vote, uh, you know, votes by council. Um, they oversee the budget. They get last say on certain things. So it kind of slows up uh, the government, but it, it also ensures that everything, you know, all the, all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed. So um, I can truly say it, it's kind of a, a, there are a lot of pros and cons. It all depends on what aspect of government you're examining. Um, but I do believe that after this next four years, are completed, that Atlantic City is going to be on much better footing, at which point I do envision uh, that being the exit point for the state um, out of control of Atlantic City. It's no secret that Atlantic City, like a lot of cities around the country, are facing, Atlantic City's facing a lot of challenges. Atlantic City may be facing more than others with the increased competition of gambling from nearby jurisdictions. What do you think the biggest problem is or maybe the biggest challenge within those 48 blocks of Atlantic City is? And uh, what do you what's your plan to tackle whatever you think the biggest challenge is? Uh, so so one of the biggest challenges uh, in Atlantic City is public safety right now. Um, there, there's a lack of you know, our police force was, was drastically reduced over the years. Um, and, and as I stated earlier, we, we receive a lot of visitors and a lot of transient uh, issues from other cities, uh, which kind of dovetails into my other point, um, my next point, which is, you know, we, we have a lot of different social services that are offered in Atlantic City that aren't offered in our neighboring towns. Um, so we have this thing called, it's coined Greyhound Therapy, where if, if someone's, you know, has a troubled past or they, they face addiction or anything of that nature, they get sent to Atlantic City on a one-way bus ticket, and they, they're told to go figure it out because we have a landscape of services for them. Um, and, and that kind of, you know, helps to uh, exacerbate the problems and crime that we may have or the loitering that we may have, issues that we may have that may deter businesses from wanting to move to Atlantic City. Um, but it also creates a lot of pressure on our public safety, uh, you know, uh, professionals, you know, both fire and police. Um, so we need to ramp, you know, find creative ways to work with, uh, you know, the higher legislative body um, to bring back a lot of the revenues that get intercepted away from Atlantic City uh, that go to Trenton or to go to Casino Reinvestment Development Authority. Um, and, and what has been encouraging in the recent months is that we've seen legislation be presented that would actually return money back to Atlantic City to help mm. fund things such as public safety. So that's encouraging to see. Um, it's long overdue, and um, that's going to really help set us on the correct footing because Atlantic City is not broke. It's just the system is broken within Atlantic City mm-hmm. economically. And once that, you know, once we are honest about that and we're able to address it the proper channels, um, I think you're going to see Atlantic City again be, be positioned to be in a, a better footing in the future. So I, I love that phrase, and I don't think I've heard it before, Greyhound Therapy, where the mm-hmm. the generosity of social services, whether it's drug treatment or um, or any other sort of social services, serves as a magnet to attract certain people to Atlantic City from all around the state, maybe even all around the region. And then businesses are a little less likely to want to open in Atlantic City because they don't want to be overrun with 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 crime, homelessness, blight and things like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, is there a way – one of the things I like about Atlantic City is that uh, 
in spite of um, issues with, uh, you know, crime and public safety, as you mentioned, there's still a great deal of charm. You don't see a Starbucks on every corner and a, a Chase Bank branch on every corner. You go to so many other cities and they, they all look the same. It's the same Dunkin' Donuts, the same McDonald's, the same chain restaurant. Is there a way to solve the problems related to public safety or drugs or uh, blight or anything else that you're describing while at the same time preserving the charm and the uniqueness of what makes Atlantic City so special? Um, so, so yeah, Atlantic City has a very uh, unique culture um, and fabric, I guess you could say. Um, and, and as we look to, to, to move Atlantic City forward, one of the things that we must do, as you mentioned, is we must preserve the character that makes Atlantic City unique. And, and we mentioned earlier that I, I founded the Northside Small Business Academy. Uh, the Northside was a section of town uh, in the mid-20th century that uh, really thrived as a small business community. Uh, we had, you know, a lot of the mom-and-pop shops, you know, cleaners, banks. Uh, you know, we had our own nightlife uh, section of, of town. And it was all just natural, homegrown small businesses. Um, and that's kind of went away, you know, when the casinos came. And um, a lot of business didn't trickle off, you know, outside the casinos and, and into the community. Um, so so one of the, the primary focus of the academy uh, is to train residents from A to Z uh, through, you know, nine to ten weeks on how to start a business, how to run a business. And we have different subject matters and different evenings. Um, but we also want to uh, have nights uh, and sessions that teach about the history of the North Side and how it thrived. And so that, you know, some of the younger generation of people who may have moved, just moved to Atlantic City have a better understanding that, you know, Atlantic City has a rich fabric and we have a, a unique culture that we need to preserve um, as we, again, look to move Atlantic City forward. We don't, we don't want to forget our past. Um, but to your other point about public safety, um, it's really tough to attract new development. It's really tough to attract new homeowners and people who want to move their family to Atlantic City if they don't feel safe, if they don't think the city's clean. I think that's brass tacks. We have to we have to make sure that our foundation is strong so that all the other things can follow. Um, because it's it's very it's going to be unsustainable uh, to attract all these grand developments if everything around it is chaos, in my opinion. So uh, we need to take care of of, of the foundation first. Um, and make sure that's sturdy, and then we can look to, you know, make everything else around it better. But again, uh, we we must be more more safe, and we must be more clean, in my opinion. Since Atlantic City changed their form of government in 1981, they've had seven mayors. Now, four of the last seven mayors that we've seen in Atlantic City have faced criminal charges, including Marty Small's predecessor, Frank Gilliam. Marty Small himself, he w- he had been arrested previously, never convicted, though, I want to make that very clear. But four out of seven mayors facing criminal charges. I mean, a lot of people look at that and they say, hey, what's going on in Atlantic City? In your opinion, Bruce, if I can call you Bruce, does Atlantic City have a problem with public corruption? Um, I would say, I mean, that's a very small sample size for the amount of mayors that we've had over the course of the history of Atlantic City. Um, and I think if you look at a lot of different municipalities that have big names or, uh, or big large cities, you know, you're going to see corruption at some point within those governments. Unfortunately, that's just the law of numbers in, in politics, unfortunately. Um, I don't think that – I think a lot of that just has to do with the individual. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with Atlantic City. Um, I know that there is a, a – you know, the boardwalk empire culture, 
uh, as some may say. But um, you know, again, that, that's that's another reason why I want to be an independent thinker and, and kind of set myself away from from what the status quo is, because it's, it's very easy, as I guess you could say, to get caught up in some of that. Um, and I don't want to ever forget why I, I chose to be and, and, and want to serve the city of Atlantic City. Um, and we want to make sure that people want to be civically engaged. And, and some of the things that you just spoke about are the reasons why our voter turnout is, is low, from, because they always see mm. these things happen every four years or so, and they lose confidence in the government. They think their vote doesn't matter. They think it's the same old, uh, you know, politician that, that's going down a corrupt path. Um, and, and I want to say that, you know, since Mayor Small has taken office, uh, since that, you know, since Mayor Gilliam, I think Mayor Small has done a great job overall. Um, I think, you know, he's done a, he's done a great job, uh, you know, bringing in the development, um, doing a lot of community programming, uh, and, and trying to reestablish our recreation for our youth and seniors. I think that's very important. Uh, for the overall quality of life for Atlantic City. Final question, and it is my toughest question. Gun to your head. I'm not going to let you out of this interview without answering it. If you have to pick, and then we're going to make you have to pick, your absolute favorite restaurant in Atlantic City, what is it? Wow. Wow, that's tough. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Kelsey's on Pacific Avenue and on Pacific and New York Avenue. It's called Kelsey's. Um, It's it's, uh, Southern Cuisine comfort food, um, really good atmosphere. They have live music. Um, they have great, you know, top-of-the-line brunch on Sundays, buffet. Um, I, I would encourage anyone listening to please uh, patronize if you're making a trip to Atlantic City. Uh, there's always a line uh, down the street. It's called Kelsey's. It's on Pacific and New York Avenues. Kelsey's it is. All right, uh, Council Member Bruce Weeks. Uh, hopefully I'll see you the next time I'm down there, and uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting again on the radio very soon. Appreciate you taking the time to join us. All right, thank you, Frank. Thank you. You want to comment on any portion of our discussion, 800-848-9222. It's 800-848-WABC. I want to thank uh, our producer, Molly, for getting a hold of Council Member Weeks, specifically at a week when he's making so much news. So that was uh, the result of dogged persistence. By uh, by Molly, so thank you to her. 800-848-WABC, your call straight ahead. WABC. Uh, the great Chubby Checker. This is The Other Side of Midnight, 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Joe in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. How are you? I am doing just dandy. I got two things for you. Number one, about the uh, Supreme Court justice, I have a prediction of him nominating uh, Michelle Obama. Oh, that would be a bold pick. And something happened last night, Frank, and no, I am not drinking. Like the guy said a couple of weeks ago, my friend actually saw the same thing. In the southeast sky, I saw something. It wasn't an airplane light. It was swirling lights. The thing went to the right. It went to the left, and then it disappeared. I called my buddy. He confirmed it. It was at 5.15 in the morning. 
Wow. Joe, I, I got to run. I got to run. That's a wild situation, though. To be continued. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It is, you know, so I am on a singular mission in life, right? You hear other people on the radio or wherever else, and they're trying to win converts to their political cause, or they're trying to uh, make a whole lot of money or whatever. Now, I wouldn't mind making a whole lot of money. I wouldn't mind winning converts to some of the political issues that, uh, that I believe in. But really, I have a dual role in life. One is, it is so essential that this program continue to succeed uh, because this is the only, with the exception of maybe some live news channels somewhere, this is the only live and local mainstream talk show in the entire country. And there's a reason most radio stations don't have live and local talk stations. Excuse me, live and local overnight talk shows. Because they lose money doing it. Because you have to pay a host. You have to pay an engineer. You have to pay a call screener. You have to pay a computer. You have to, rather than you could just plug in syndicated programming, which doesn't cost anything, and usually you can't make as much money um, from selling the commercials on the overnight to justify the salaries of everybody that I just mentioned. But since I've been doing this in September of 2020, I believe that it was so essential for this show to be successful because I want to show that to every station in the country that doing a live and local overnight talk show can work. And hopefully be a model to other radio stations. So that's my primary goal in life. That animates me more than almost anything. The other goal that I have adopted is to bring back and repopularize terrestrial radio listening. Uh, I've talked about this before. Whenever I can give a gift to somebody, I almost always try to give them a radio. And to me, this is something that I'm not going to give up on. Even if radio stations throw in the towel on this, even if they try to migrate everybody towards podcast and digital and video streaming, I refuse to give up on the dream of having terrestrial radio see the same kind of a popular comeback like vinyl records have, like theater has, like film cameras have, like all these varying waves of nostalgia that millennials have adopted, I'm determined to get them to adopt 
just like vinyl records, the typewriter, and film cameras, I am determined to get them to adopt the terrestrial radio. Because not only... uh, Radio is just such a magical thing. Now, there is, as you might have heard from Frank Diaz in the uh, top of the hour news, there is a winter storm warning in effect. The National Weather Service has issued an advisory that's going to go from 7 p.m. Friday night to 7 p.m. Saturday night. It's just fine with me. I don't mind being stuck home, catch up on some reading, catch up on some movies. They're expecting hazardous conditions. Now, who knows if this is going to come to fruition, but they're expecting 6 to 12 inches of snow and gusts of wind up to uh, 45 miles per hour. It's going to cause a lot of travel difficulties. Roads are going to be dangerous. They're urging you, if you have to travel, use mass transit. And they're cautioning about power outages. So they offer reminders of the things that you should do. Charge your cell phones. Gather supplies. Turn the refrigerator and the freezer to a colder setting. And then it gives you reminders of what to do. Stay clear of downed power lines. Turn off all appliances. Keep the refrigerator doors closed. Do not use generators indoors. The one thing that's conspicuously absent from this, and it's the first thing I always tell people whenever there's a snowstorm coming, is to make sure you have a battery-operated radio. Because the bottom line is, if you lose power and you lose Internet, how are you going to know what's going on? How are you going to know when the, the gale force winds are ending? How are you going to know when um, your street's going to be plowed? If you have no access to the Internet, if your phone is, uh, is not working, if you, how are you going to know when the snow is going to end? How are you going to know if school's open or not? It is so important to have a battery-operated, good old-fashioned terrestrial radio. And it's interesting. I got a very interesting email yesterday from a, a listener named Al Lewis. I think he's from New York originally, but he lives in Maryland. And he sent me this email yesterday. I got my new Sangian long-range radio today. And now I can listen to WABC on terrestrial radio. This is in Maryland. That's how powerful our signal is. He's listening in Maryland. Although a little static, but otherwise okay, without having to use my two iPhones with the WABC app. It also gets WOR and WPHT in Philadelphia, as I like. And he mentions a show in Philadelphia in the mornings sometimes, too. Al in um, Annapolis. Now, this email was the worst thing that happened to me today. Because I had a lot of things to do today. And this email took up my entire attention for the rest of the afternoon. Uh, My work went on the back burner. All the errands that I had to run around our household went on the back burner. I told Rachel I was going to make dinner yesterday. Did not happen because I became obsessed with this email. So I write back to this fellow. I said, terrific. Is that radio better than the CC radio, because I have several CC radios. And he says, I never got around to getting and trying the CC radio. I did check them, and this one was less expensive. So I figured I'd try it first, and and if it didn't get WABC, then I'd get a C-Crane radio. I spent $53 through Amazon Prime and got it the next day. It was one of the cheaper models. Wanted to save my iPhone battery usage. I get WABC, WPHD, and he mentions other stations in my cars, though. He says he gets it in his cars. So he sends me a link where he gets this on Amazon, and he sends me an article. 
to the 10 best AM radios for long-range reception in 2022. It's from a website called windupradio.com. Now, this was awful. He sent that email at uh, 5.30 p.m. I got nothing done for the rest of the day because I started researching all 10 of these radios. I started thinking, and I'm reading the reviews, and I'm reading user reviews, and I start buying these radios. And I, I say, wait a minute, okay, let me let me stop here. I, I have a radio in every single house in my home. I have multiple radios in some rooms. I have transistor radios, battery-operated radios, C-crane radios, portable radios. I have old-fashioned radios, new radios. I have radios everywhere. And yet... I'm about to buy a whole bunch of these radios. And there's one radio uh, that's $110, one that's $50. I'm reading all the reviews. I'm reading all the drawbacks. What has the best reception? Because I will tell you, there's absolutely nothing like listening to the radio on radio. And on Monday, last the Monday of this week, I told you, I, I took my wife's car. And it was fortuitous that I took her car into work because she doesn't have any of my presets. I have... Um, Satellite radio, AM radio, and FM radio, and HD radio. It's one of the reasons I got my car is because it had an HD radio. And I have, uh, you know, I don't know, 40 presets, and they're all used. Now, none of those presets are on my wife's car. She's got WABC preset, but other than that, she's got a couple of music stations on satellite, and that's it. So what it allowed me to do when I was driving her car home on uh, Monday of this week is to just press the scan button. At, and I was driving home at night, and all sort I don't know what it was with the weather on Monday morning, but night slash morning, but I was getting all sorts of weird signal stations. And I discovered so many different radio stations just by scanning the dial. Uh, there was one morning show, because I was driving home, it was around 5.30 in the morning, one morning show I discovered in either uh, in Kentucky, I got the signal from Kentucky driving in New York, Kentucky. I got another station coming from Buffalo driving in New York on her car radio just by pressing the scan radio. Now, it would come in and out. It would be static. It would be clear. But it got me thinking, I wonder if anyone has discovered really compelling radio programming just purely by accident by pressing scan on the radio and just discovering a show that they hadn't heard before and they instantly became a fan of because to me there is nothing more exciting than not knowing what you're going to hear on the radio next and by pressing that scan button and uh, seeing what comes in, listening through the static, finding out if, you know, if you, you can make out this station, what is this station, where is it broadcasting from, what are these people saying? And it, it caused me to be exposed on Monday, but this has happened to me dozens of times throughout my life, if not more. It caused me to be exposed to two shows that I liked that I never would have heard if I was just going by my presets or typing in whatever station I wanted to listen to on the radio. So I want to invite you to comment and tell me what is the best thing you've ever heard on the radio 
by accident. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. I am an evangelist for the cause of bringing back terrestrial radio, more so than anybody uh, that works in radio. I am determined to repopularize the radio, the good old-fashioned radio. I will be the godfather of the vinyl record-like comeback of the terrestrial radio. I am determined to make this happen. Determined. And look, part of it is more and more more stations are going to have to do what we're doing and offer compelling radio content more often. I got an email here when I, I alluded to something like this last Thursday. I got an email here from one of our listeners that grew up in Long Island. This is what this person writes. During my first winter on the east end of Long Island, I was trying to find Bob Fass on BAI. I had a rooftop TV antenna hooked up to an FM tuner to try and get New York City radio 100-plus miles away. The reception was poor, but I thought I'd found Fass. It sounded sort of like him. It turned out it wasn't Fass. I'd found Alex Bennett on the nearby frequency of PLJ. Till then, I'd never heard of Alex. I became an Alex Bennett addict, and 50 years later, I'm still listening to him on the Internet. That's what this person writes. What have you discovered? By accident, just by pressing the scan button, 800-848-WABC, that's 800-848-9222. Now, uh, I will tell you uh, that um, Jay Diamond, who is one of my favorite talk show hosts of all time, his favorite talk show host as a, he did like Alex Bennett, he would actually call into Alex Bennett's show and do impressions of Spiro Agnew. But his favorite talk show host years ago on WMCA was Bob Grant. And he thought that when Bob Grant left WMCA, that was pretty much it. And so Jay was serving, was working as a salesman for a company called Fairchild. And somebody is making conversation with him at work at the coffee machine or the water cooler and basically says, oh, did you hear what Bob Grant uh, said on the radio yesterday? And he says, what? Bob Grant's on the radio? This was before Internet listening or anything like that. Bob Grant's on the radio, and they said, yeah, he's on WABC. Now, this is like late 1980s. Jay says, what? I thought WABC was a music station. He was so out of touch, didn't listen to WABC at all. The only radio he would listen to, really, at that time was 1010 Winds. So Jay tunes into Bob Grant that afternoon and immediately becomes obsessed. He sees his father, um, his father's face, basically. And it brings back all these memories that he had from childhood from listening to Bob Grant as a young person. They instantly came flooding back, and he instantly becomes obsessed with Bob Grant, uh, becomes a caller to Bob Grant, eventually talks his way into becoming a, a phone screener at this radio station. And and I don't know that there's ever been anything like this in the history of radio. Within 140 days of getting hired as a call screener at WABC, Jay Diamond was hosting the morning show. That gives you an idea of how talented Jay Diamond was. But it also gives you a picture of the power of terrestrial radio. And when Jay started at WRKO in Boston, 
this was before they were streaming on the internet. I would, I got one of these CC radios specifically so I could try to get WRKO in Boston in New York so I could get the reception. And uh, Jay had been off the radio in New York for a while. When I, this was like 2004, and when I was able to hear Jay on WRKO in Boston, a lot of those same memories that Jay talked about having with Bob Grant came flooding back for me. It really transported me to another era, an era of 12, 13, 15 years before hearing Jay on WABC and WEVD and so many great memories and WOR and hearing him on so many other great talk stations. So there's something about the power of good old-fashioned terrestrial radio that is unparalleled, absolutely unparalleled. So have you ever discovered something on the radio by accident that was, I don't want to call it life-changing, but special, really, really special? 800-848-WABC. Jimmy is in Maine. Hello, Jimmy. Hello, Frank. Pleasure to speak with you. Uh, Yeah, I drive from Arizona to Maine all the time, and I do what you were talking about there. I scan the the AM stations all the way across country, and uh, I came across the station in New Mexico at the Navajo Reservation, where they they speak Navajo, of course, but they do a bunch of uh, pop songs and rock songs, you know, in the native language it's kind of sound like a garage band you know and uh i just thought it was so great you know just and then now every time i go through new mexico i i scan the the am station so that i can hear them yeah well i see that's great great call jimmy i do the same thing whenever i'm traveling when I've driven down to Atlantic City, I always try and see what stations can come in. When I drive down to Cape May, uh, when I, I was in, I did a drive to the Outer Banks one time in, um, in the Carolinas. And I was able to get some really wild stations. I was even able to get a station from New Jersey. It's just, you just never know. When you're in a car especially and you press that scan button, you just never know what you're going to get. 800-848-WABC. Daniel is calling from Riverdale. Hello, Daniel. Hey, what's up, uh, Frank? How are you doing? Well, um, depending on the weather, I uh, I think I'm holding my own. Oh, well, very well. You know, I, I don't like to ask Curtis about that because he always gives yeah, me Yeah, it's a, a sore time. subject with him. Yes. In any case, uh, Gene Shepard, when I was, uh, you know, I was born in 1960, and I had a little Panasonic radio under my pillow, I would listen to Gene Shepard on WOR. Well, yeah, I mean, I did not listen to much of Gene Shepard. I've done, I listen to Gene Shepard more now um, because they have a lot of his great shows on the YouTube. And um, he was certainly a master. And uh, obviously a lot of people know his work these days from the film A Christmas Story. But, um, you know, clearly a master of the medium and somebody that inspired uh, a lot of people. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Isabel has a guess about the big announcement this morning. Hello, Isabel. Hi. How are you? Uh, word on the street uh, is that I'm pretty good. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, my two guesses are about the big announcement is that Bernie beat cancer 
And the second one is that Mr. Mr. Katz, your station owner, bought the Daily Newspaper. Oh, oh, that would be interesting. Well, I mean, obviously, (laughs) I don't think it's the announcement of um, Bernie beating cancer because I feel like that's something that would require more time than we've seen so far. I certainly hope that's the case. But, wow, if that announcement is the case that uh, John bought the Daily News, that would be something. That is interesting. That is interesting. We know he's toyed with that idea before. 800-848-WABC. Rich is in Belleville. Hello, Rich. Hello. Um, how's it going, Frank? Um, hey, the the most interesting thing I found on the radio was uh, one uh, morning, about 1130 in the morning, I was driving on I-95 on the East Coast here. Back in the 70s, I picked up the BBC from London on my car radio. In Jersey? Yeah. See, that's amazing. You know, I got that letter. I don't know if you heard me read it the other day of that fella in in London that was tuned to 770 in in England and was able to pick up this show in England. That is wild. Yeah. They were reporting on Harry Truman had just died. And then he then he said BBC London and then it faded out. I had him for about 15 seconds. That is something. Uh, I, you know, you just wonder, what is it about the weather? What is it about the radio waves at any given moment that allows something like that to happen? Thanks, Rich. That's something. 800-848-WABC. Jay is in the Poconos. Hello, Jay. Jay. Jay has other priorities. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. All right, Big Frank. And, um... Don't you think you guys were being a little hard on uh, Tris Speaker and Ty Cobb uh, this morning? And uh, before I get to uh, the uh, Bob Grant and all that stuff, um, folks, most of the cases do not uh, get to the Supreme Court. Aren't you glad I call in? And this guy, Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs in the White House, Biden, he's violating the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, equal protection, by say he's only going to pick a black woman. So that what he means by doing that – He's eliminating 95% of the country by doing that. And let me tell you some affirmative action race quotas have hurt a lot of people in this country, and that someday will be addressed. I've always addressed it. You know that. Now, Bob Grant once called me. He called me an ambush caller. Now, I took it as a compliment. And um, with talk radio, I've called a lot of different shows through the years. I was banned in New York City. I had to go national so the people nationally know me. They want to know why I'm not calling no more. I was on hold, right, for, for Bill O'Reilly's show, right? And um, for some reason, when I went to commercial, they didn't shut their mics off. I could hear Bill O'Reilly talking to the guest. I'm not going to mention who this is. He was taking this person to the woodshed. He was letting this person have it. He was getting at him. You better do this and that when you're on the air. And I'm saying these guys don't even know that, you know, I'm listening there. But I never got on the air to tell him. I would have told him, guys, you know, I could hear you doing the uh, commercials. But, uh, Frank, when you talk about talk radio now, you you guys have to do – I'm being critiquing now. You guys have to do a better job of marketing AM radio because a lot of people do like it. You've got to watch the sports stations because it does bring in a lot of young uh, demographics. You've got to be able to grab some of that and bring it to WABC. Now, as far as, far as the announcement that's going to make today, folks, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. The big cat is going to announce that the ban on Steve from Manhattan, <laughs> Joe Jackson, is over. We'll see, Steve. We'll see. We will see. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Carol is in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Hi there, Frank. 
You know, about six months ago, I discovered a station. Uh, you know, I was looking uh, for this, uh, the sports, you know, WFAN, whatever. And I found a station in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada, of course. And they have this old, this show that has old radio programs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard yeah. that station as well. Yes, a lot of people yeah. told me about that station. I actually went looking for it. And they don't even have a host. They just play the radio programs. And it's fantastic. It really is. Well, yeah. Well, see, that's fun. always come in, though. Yeah, no, you're right. I've, I, I've heard that yeah. station. It's it's iffy. It's hit and miss. That's true. Uh, that's the thing. Is uh, You just never know what you're going to discover by pressing scan on the radio dial. 800-848-9222. Gordon is in Waterloo, Canada. Hello, Gordon. Hello, Frank. Uh, <clears throat> well, I <clears throat> excuse me. I discovered your show when I was living in Ottawa, and uh, that's when Gabriella was your uh, call screener. And uh, it was just a, a fluke. I, I'm playing with the radio, you know, tuning it in. And, and it was just one of those nights where the signal went right up the Ottawa Valley. And then I got relocated to Waterloo here. And it's the same thing. Once in a blue moon, it comes in, the station. And now you listen every day, right? Well, I, I, I have to call in. Yeah, well, you're still listening. <laughs> but I'm a regular listener. Right? Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing is you just keep pressing scan. You never know what shows you'll discover that will change your listening habits for a lifetime. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Al is here in Manhattan. Hello, Al. What's well, behind? Hey, what's going on, Frank? Uh, let's see. I was in college, Massachusetts. I was about... October, November, many, many years ago. And I hear on this beautiful shortwave radio that my dad gave me, uh, a weather report said it's going to snow. But it's leaves there. It's beautiful. It's fall. I had a friend of mine going to biology class, and I told him, I says, he told me he had a 67 Mustang in Boston. I says, I'll bet you your Mustang against 100 bucks that it snows tomorrow. He says, what are you out of your mind? It's October. Guess what? The next afternoon, 2 o'clock, Going to class, about an inch or two of snow. All he does is look at me. He goes, well, pick it up whenever you want. You know? <laughs> so, so, so let me tell you this about radios. I've had them all. My dad was a radio guy. This is what you do. Uh, are you familiar with Craigslist uh, free stuff? Uh, no, not. I'm familiar with the website Craigslist. I'm not familiar with the free stuff that's on there, no. Well, maybe this is a big mistake. Rachel might be very mad after this. You go to Craigslist, right? Free stuff. And all you do is put an alert, and it's going to cover the whole New York area, Jersey, the whole bit, Long Island. And you put in free stuff, and your alert is going to be for this, shortwave radio. But here's the brand that I want you to look for. They always have some on there, Grundig, G-R-U-N-D-I-G. And let me tell you something. These are the best shortwave radios. You really? Can the only problem is they're very old, but that's what makes them so good. Grundig means something like Grun is green in German. It's like Blaupunk. You ever heard of a Blaupunk radio? I, I don't I don't think I have, no. Car radios, Blaupunk. Mm -hmm. Well, that means a blue point in German. But anyway, Grundig. So what I want you to do is go to Craigslist. You go right now in New York City, put it on free stuff, and put in these words, G-R-U-N-D-I-G. And the one that that's really good is called Majestic. Beautiful wood cabinet. And what happens is when you turn the dial, you'll see like a green 
it's like a thing out of the 50s, because basically it is from the 50s or 60s. It comes together, and then you get an absolutely perfect signal. Wow. You'll get the whole damn world. I, I am going to – I've gonna... had the Crane radios. I've had the Sonys. They're okay. You know, I've got an ABC in Georgia, Florida, 66. So, again, the spelling is G-R-U-M-D-I-G? No, no, no. G-R-U-N-D-I-G. Go to Craigslist right now in New York City and put look under free stuff. Then in the blank, you're going to put this word yep. in. Yeah, no, I, I see. It doesn't radio. look like there's anything available now, but I will keep looking there, Al. Thank you for that. I will check that out. 800-848-WABC. Robert is in Lewisburg, PA. Hello, Robert. Hello. I just happened to pick your radio station up. I'm in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Now, what I have, I have a little radio. It's called a Born International it was very expensive. It cost nine dollars and ninety-eight cents. <laughs> it takes double A batteries, and I picked up at our local Boscoff sale. In fact, I bought three of them because I liked them. There's a speaker, and I can get all kinds of stations without spending a tremendous amount of money. Love it. Uh, good for you, Robert. Robert, I'm glad you discovered us. Thank you. Yes, well, and uh, other stations, I, I get WBZ. They have some In interesting yeah. nighttime uh, shows. <clears throat> and at times I pick up Coast to Coast, which is uh, a little interesting. And I also get Red Eye Radio, which you've probably heard, and a lot of local stations. And I pick up a Kentucky station that's good. And WBM Chicago is an interesting station also. Yeah, Red Eye, Coast to Coast, I'm not familiar with those shows. Know nothing about them. Never heard of them. Devin is in Westchester. Hello, Devin. Hey, I just wanted to ask you, um, there's an equal opportunity, uh, equal employment opportunity um, law that all federal employees are subject to. Uh, Supreme Court justices are federal employees. Uh, and the equal opportunity law states that you cannot discriminate based on race. And amongst other things. So how is it that Biden is not violating the EEO? Because the Constitution trumps a statute. So the Equal Employment Opportunity Act, that's a law that was passed by uh, Congress, right? So um, what the president's dis- discretion spelled out in the Constitution to appoint whomever he wants to the Supreme Court that trumps uh, any other law. The, the, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, and the Constitution says the president can appoint uh, whomever he wants. So they can put, they can pass limiting legislation. It still doesn't limit the powers that uh, that are spelled out for the president in the Constitution. All right, hey, uh, this has been fun, but uh, we have to give a thousand dollars away. That is our habit now. We've given a thousand dollars away. Twice in the last week or so, after not having given it away, given it away at all, we are now in a giving mood. So if you want to try and play the thousand dollar minute and answer 10 questions in 60 seconds, 10 trivia questions, be the seventh caller right now to 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. And I'll ask ask you 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can answer them, you will be $1,000 richer. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
I'm listening to Frank Marano and eating gabagool. WABC. This is uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Cindy Lauper, which, um, according to Matt Blaze, tells me that this video on the YouTube has just hit one billion views. Is that right, Matt? That is correct. Wow. Now, what do we attribute that to? I mean, there's a lot of great music videos from the 1980s. Um, what do we think the reason that this particular one has achieved such a milestone is? There is a cameo. Captain, like Captain Lou Albano. Yeah. But that in and of itself cannot generate <laughs> no. a billion views. But it's a great song. I mean, it is a classic epitome of the 80s song. Everybody loves Cyndi Lauper. And I just think people just go and gravitate toward that video. No, that's true. That's true. And, um, and, and the lyrics ring true. Girls do just want to have fun. You should see Deb Valentine in the morning. She's hanging off chandeliers here. She's quite wild. Now, um, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morales. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant, Dave in Boston. Dave, are you listening on the radio or the Internet? Oh, on the radio, Frank. Wonderful. Love that. All right. Have you heard this, uh, this contest before, Dave? Never. Actually, I'm first-time listener to this show. Oh, welcome. So you just happened to stumble upon our little radio show today as you were cruising up and down the dial? Exactly. Wonderful. All right. Well, welcome aboard. Hopefully, it won't be the last time you listen. Hopefully not. Yeah, if you win the $1,000, Dave, I'd say that's a pretty good way to guarantee your long-term patronage, right? (laughs) You got it. All right. Now, so let me explain to you the contest briefly. Uh, after I ask you the first question, the timer is going to go off for 60 seconds. I'm going to ask you 10 trivia questions. Most of them are pretty easy. A couple of them you may have to think about. Don't get nervous. That's always the mistake that people make. They get nervous, and then they blurt out the wrong answer. Uh, if you get an answer correct, I'm not going to say that's right. I'm not going to play a bell. I'm not going to say congratulations. We're just going to move on to the next question, and we're going to keep going so that we can get through all of these. Now, we went a long time without getting a winner. Within the last week, we've had two winners. Hopefully, you can be number three. You ready to go? I, I hope so, and I am ready. All right. Here we go. Name a state that begins with the word new. New Mexico. What is the only city in New Jersey to offer legalized casino gambling? Atlantic City. What Supreme Court justice has indicated plans to retire this week? Trying to remember. I was just reading about that. Um... He's also an ice cream. Uh, Briar. What is the only country whose name ends in H when written in English? It also happens to be one of the ten most populous countries in the world. When translated to English. Only country whose name ends in H. 
Bangladesh. What French artist sculpted the thinker? Could you repeat that question? Uh, I'm sorry. We're actually <laughs> a- out of time. Um, but uh, the, uh, the so I'm going to put you on hold, uh, Dave. That question. So do you do you watch Jeopardy um, uh, on a regular basis, Dave? Uh, a semi-regular basis. Because uh, that was the final Jeopardy question on Jeopardy, which stumped the longtime, the 40-day reigning champion, Amy Schneider. So I figured that uh, a lot of people might have either seen that or might have read the news coverage about it. But you just knew it. It took you a little while, but you just knew that it was Bangladesh. Yep. Yeah, I didn't get that. All right, well, Dave, I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to send you a consolation prize, and uh, hopefully the consolation prize that we send you is significant enough to get you to listen again, okay? All right, great. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dave. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Uh, Grab Dave's information, if you would, there, Mr. Ryan. Uh, You want to comment on anything we've covered thus far? Now's the time. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Two, Bangladesh. That was what stumped Amy Schneider on Jeopardy. And uh, Dave got it. It just took him a little longer than necessary. He ate up a lot of a lot of time there. So Saturday of last week, my wife and I took our son for the first time to Long Island, the his ancestral homeland, the land of his grandmother and many of his aunts and uncles. We went to visit my mother-in-law on eastern Long Island for the first time. And I must say, uh, little Carmine was uh, pretty well-behaved in the car on the way out there. Slept most of the ride. No, he didn't cry. He didn't cry. He was pretty well-behaved. So we go out there, and, um, you know, you always got to bring something. So I try to bring the kind of things that they don't get on Long Island. So now I come from an area that's very, very well-known for fine Italian cuisine. So I stop in at Pastoza. Anybody that lives in my area of New York will be familiar with Pastoza. It's just incredibly fresh products and just beautiful, wonderful food. So I pick up some uh, some fish salad. I pick up some, uh, you know, some frutta di mare. I pick up some marinated artichoke. I pick up some uh, some other things, right? And I pick up a giant ball of homemade, fresh, unsalted mozzarella. And I think I am going to be a hero. Uh, Even though my mother-in-law doesn't eat cheese, several of my siblings-in-law do, and my wife and I do. So this cheese from Pastoza is just uh, top-notch. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to be greeted with people throwing rose petals at my feet when this mozzarella gets unearthed. So anyway, we get there, and we're about ready to eat by the time we get there. And uh, my mother-in-law had made baked ziti, and we put out the food that we that we brought, uh, the fruta de mara, the marinated artichokes, and a couple of other items. The um, Oh, uh, this uh, goat cheese stuffed pepidou, which was delicious. And um, for some reason, I guess I was so frenzied. I was greeting everybody. I was putting out the foods. I was you know, trying to help my wife take care of our young son, I forget to put out the mozzarella. And it lies, and it stays in the paper bag that I brought it in the entire time that we're at my mother-in-law. So what a mama Luke. we purchased, I purchased this cheese at around 1130 in the morning. We left my mother-in-law's at around 630 at night. 
no refrigeration that entire time. We then drive two hours to maybe two and a half hours back to my neighborhood. Totally unrefrigerated the entire time. The heat's on in the house. The heat's on in the car. Going in both directions. So now this mozzarella has been unrefrigerated from 11.30 a.m. till about a quarter to nine. Now what do you do? What do you do? This is one of the classic Frank and Rachel perpetual arguments. Matt Blaze, what do you do? Fresh block of mozzarella. It's uh, not refrigerated for nine hours. What do you say? Throw it right in the garbage. Throw it in the garbage. Right in the garbage. That's what my wife said. So we end a whole discussion. So before, uh, now I know this is how she's going to react because I saw how she reacted when she saw this cheese was left out and not refrigerated for all those hours. So I sneak this cheese into the house. I smuggle it like I'm smuggling a nail file into a prison. I smuggle this into our kitchen, and when she's not looking, I sneak it into the refrigerator, put it in the back of the refrigerator. And then the next day comes around. It's now actually, uh, yeah, next day comes around a Sunday. And she gets word of this cheese smuggling plan. She said, there is no way you are eating that. There is no way I'm eating that. There's no way I'm going to let you serve that to anybody. We are throwing that cheese away. I said, honey, you can't do it. You can't do it. It's still good. She said, it's not still good. It's been unrefrigerated for nine hours. It's been in the heat. It's, it's not, it's not going to be good. It's going to be ruined. I said, honey, let me at least try it. I will risk it. Now, those of you that happen to be husbands know how little credibility you have with your wives at times, such is the case with me because I won't throw any of these foods out. I once ate cheese that was left in my car for about a week. I will tell you that, and it was fine. Now, I just so happened to have my brother Nick, my sister-in-law-in-waiting, his fiance Kat, my sister Claudia and my friend Sal, they were all over for, for football on Sunday. And as they're ready to leave, Rachel brings up this argument with everybody. And now Rachel gets into her modes where basically anybody, including perfect strangers, including my friend Sal, who she'd never met, ha- anybody has more credibility than I do on just about any issue. So it doesn't matter that she's married to me. doesn't matter that I'm the father of her child. doesn't matter that uh, she's made a conscious decision to spend her life with me. When it comes to the issue of refrigerating food, she has determined that just about anybody is more believable than I am. So lo and behold, it was my lucky day. Should have gone to Atlantic City. Lo and behold, my brother Nick, Claudia, my sister, Kat, my sister-in-law-to-be, and my friend Sal all say the same thing. They all said the cheese was fine and was okay to eat. Yes, that's right, Curtis. They all said it was still good to eat. And then Sal gave this really incredible example about mozzarella that had been left out for a week and was still good. So lo and behold, my wife is persuaded by everyone except me. And she allows the mozzarella to stay in the refrigerator. I consider this a huge victory. Next day, she serves this for dinner. Uh, tomato and mozzarella with a little balsamic vinegar as, you know, sort of an appetizer. I have to tell you, this mozzarella was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And I was so pleased that we didn't end up throwing this cheese away. Because that would have been a tragedy. 
You talk about a sin. This would have been a major, major sin. Um, it's still in our refrigerator now. It is being refrigerated, and we're still enjoying it. And that is a disaster that we were able to avoid, thankfully, because there were people that had the wisdom to agree with me on the cheese issue. Now, it's funny. You live by the sword. You die by the sword. Rachel, Ms. Refrigeration, neglected no we gave we we she tried one of the cannolis that my friend sal brought over on sunday she gave a couple to my brother a couple to my sister a couple to my sister-in-law to be but there's still four or five there and lo and behold this could have been the refrigerator karma miss refrigeration doesn't put the cannoli in the refrigerator so last night we're having some tea or watching after Jeopardy. We're still talking about what an incredible victory uh, it was for this person that beat Amy Schneider on Jeopardy. We're still talking about it. We're still trying to recover from it. We're, we're talking about our plans for the weekend and the snow and this and that and all things. And she said, wait a minute. Do the cannolis have to be refrigerated? I said, yeah, I think so. And she had left the cannolis out for four straight days. These cannolis, which were brought on Sunday and Today is, so last night was Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, three days. So she said, I was really looking forward to trying one, but throw it away. And I followed her instructions. But it goes, I tried to get her to try these, but even that was a little too much for me. Because that cannoli cream does turn after a couple of days. So we ended up throwing them away. But the lesson is, refrigeration is not always what it appears to be. When it comes to mozzarella, when it comes to cheese in general, you can be a little creative. You can. Especially when it's cold out, especially when it's winter, and especially when you really want to try the mozzarella. I'm sorry she didn't get to have that cannoli last night, but uh, maybe I'll bring home, uh, although nothing's open now, but I was going to say maybe I'll bring home one for her today because she had a rough night with my son. She messaged me about a half hour ago. She said, and he's been really good. He had slept five hours straight yesterday, slept six hours straight the night before. And you could see, I could see when I came home, how well-rested my wife was with this kid getting a full night's sleep. So she messaged me just a little while ago saying, um, you have to come right home. He has not slept all night. So she's... I'm sure this is what you've been hearing just about all night. So there's no opportunity to stop for cannoli, but I do have to run some errands tomorrow in the afternoon, so perhaps I will pick up some cannoli for her. All right, uh, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame next. Those of you that are holding, William, John, Mikey, Ignatius, Neil, Fred, John, other John, we will get to you. For the rest of you, there's one open line, and it will go to someone that wants to speak for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. Best dog food I have ever eaten. WABC. Start your morning with Frank Morano on 77 WABC.
Thank you, Andy B., for this stupendous theme song. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, we will be wrapping up in just a couple of minutes, and then you can enjoy the 77 WABC Early News with Deb Valentine, featuring a business report voiced by me, yours truly. And uh, if you want to know what the stock market did yesterday, stay tuned, because I will tell you. Coming up from uh, 6 until 10, you'll get to hear the Bernie and Sid show, including... A major announcement at 740. I don't know what the announcement is, but uh, we'll see. Certainly going to be very interesting. They have a whole big press conference set up in the the Stage 77 area. So uh, Bernie and Sid will be on from 6 until 10. And I'll be back at 1 a.m. I can't believe tomorrow's going to be Friday already. Uh, We'll do Ask Frank Anything. We've got some other interesting things happening as well. Bill O'Reilly coming up on the Bernie and Sid show at 840 as he does each and every Thursday. But for now, we will end this program as we do each and every day. day. But by the way, let me give you my email, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. You can email me on any subject. Or if you just want me to add you to my email list, I'll do that as well. Just say, oh, add me to your list. Find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Morano fan. There's a Facebook fan group, uh, and we encourage people to start more conversations. As you heard from Lydia Serrano, a lot of people are monitoring this fan group. Even if they don't always post, they're all reading it. So we'd appreciate that people that do listen to this show can, uh, you know, post some interesting things. John Antis just posted that scene from The The Godfather with Clemenza and Pauly with an amendment. It said, leave the cannoli, take the mozzarella. That's very funny, John. All right, it is time for The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mikey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Mikey. There's nothing like an Italian pasta fuzzle. (laughs) Thank you, Frank. Thank you. John on Long Island. Uh, Yes, if I'm not mistaken, I believe mozzarella is actually made at room temperature and i think uh, it's fine for a few days most savory cheeses are just fine without refrigeration for a while as long as it's wrapped and that was the case here neil on staten island did you get diarrhea from the cheese just so racial you drank the life change tea <laughs> and i got my home heating oil bill it's up 70 percent let's go biden let's go brandon joe on staten island frank joe biden's best choice for Supreme Court Justice, she is supreme, Diana Ross. Oh, Cheech in Howard Beach. This morning I identify as a black female. I'd like to be considered for the Supreme Court. And this is a shout-out to my friend Anthony from upstate. Mike in New Jersey. Hello, Frank. Thank God Nancy P. has decided to run for re-election. The country needs her now more than ever. This is sarcasm, Frank, pure unadulterated sarcasm. Ken in the East Village. This is more Terry in Bayside. Hey, what's up? You got to take a home economics course, Frank. Everyone all together now. Go Buchanan, go. Go Buchanan, go. Go Buchanan, go. Go Buchanan. You can hang up on me if you want. Fred in Yonkers. Hey, Frank. So I'm watching the Jeopardy last night, and I come up with Bangladesh. But I can't come up with your cat's name. Mount Kizadam? What? <laughs> Melchizedek, Bathsheba, and Prissy. Those are our three cats. And finally, William in Brooklyn. Hello. William. 
Uh, Ignatius in Brooklyn, hello. Read Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Janine Pierce, an Arab criminal of fraud who sent an innocent New York City cop to prison. I'm glad we were able to get that in, thankfully. All right, the WABC Early News is next. I'm going to be um, back at 1 a.m. Ask Frank Anything as we have each and every Friday. Start thinking of questions now. We'll give a prize to the best question. Uh, we have some other interesting things for Friday's show as well. Bernie and Sid coming up. Up at 6 to, 6 to 10 a.m. with Bill O'Reilly. Find me on Twitter at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Frank Morano, good day.